Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamps, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 260 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined, as ever, as ever, for these past few months by... <laughs> The former heavyweight world title challenger himself, Mr. Fast Eddie Chambers. Eddie, how you doing, my man? Good today, man. How are you? Good today? Yeah, just today. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's sometimes it's not so good. No, I'm good every day, man. <laughs> no one would ever suspect it, man. You always sound cheerful and jolly. Um, but yeah, you're, you're speaking to me. I'm pleased that you're uh, that, you, that you're doing well. Anyways. Um, yeah, so I'm going to dive into the review part, of course. Uh, when the review part ends, I'm going to do the the uh, the the quiz. That, that, that We need to come up with a name for that quiz. I'm going to throw another difficult question your way, Eddie, so you've been warned. Okay. And then um, right. we'll do a little bit of news after that, then I'll do the preview part, and then the show is going to end on... Um, you know, an in-depth interview, a real in-depth interview with the former WBO heavyweight world champion, Lehman Brewster. Um, Lehman Brewster, you know, it's, it's a deep interview. He talks about a hell of a lot of things. I was really shocked at how much detail he went into on, on pretty much everything. It was it's, it's a long interview. It's probably around about an hour and 45 minutes, just that. So stick around if you're interested in that. There is a little patch during the interview for about 10 minutes where there's a slight echo. And then I notice it and I actually ended the call, called him back, picked it back up and there was no echo from that point onwards. So there is, it's it's very, very slight. I don't think it's going to bother anyone, but I just want to let you know uh, the first 20 or 20 to 25 minutes is is completely fine. Then there's a 10 minute echo, which isn't that bad. Then it returns to normal. So um, just want to throw that in there. I've noticed it, but I couldn't do anything with it, unfortunately. Anyway, leaving that there, let's move on to the review part of the show. We're going to start here in Tokyo, Japan. Last Friday, October 2nd, um, at the Karaokean Hall. A uh, you know historic venue in Japan in Tokyo. Um, one fight to mention really: Kenichi Ogawa. Um, I'm not quite sure if he's a former IBF Super Featherweight World Champion or not because he beat Tevin Farmer. Then I think he fouled um, you know a test for for PED. So I'm not quite sure the situation. But anyway, he's just disappeared really. But he was back here. Win number 25 for him. He's got a loss and a draw um, and a no contest. That that was the uh, the fight against Tevin Farmer, I believe. So not quite sure the situation. He returned with a unanimous decision win over ten rounds against Kazuhiro Nishitani, who's now twenty one and five with a draw. Moving out now to the bubble in the MGM Grand Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, I'm going to start with the undercard. A heavyweight undefeated uh, prospect from, from Italy, Guido Vianello, uh, sparring partner of Tyson Fury. 7-0 and going in. He took on Kingsley Ibe, who I suppose was, um, you know, a little bit of a... 
unknown quantity really. Five and one his record, but his one loss he avenged. So you never really are too sure on how good these guys are. You know, he's pretty much unbeaten if you you know if you look at it like that. Um, he I think had only been boxing though for something really uh, really short. I think it's something like. Not even two years, so he'd, he'd just turned pro. I don't think he had any amateur background, if I'm not mistaken. Could be mistaken, I don't think I am, though. But anyway, he gets in against Vianello. Vianello was cut really badly. Um, the fight ended in a majority draw over six rounds. Um, a lot of people saying that Kingsley Ibe deserved to win that one. A lot of people saying that Vianello was done a favor there. He, he remains undefeated. He's got the minor blemish a draw. Um... Yeah, two judges had it 57-57. Those judges, um, Chris Flores and Patricia Morse-Jarman. However, Adelaide Bird saw it um, saw it uh, by four by four points to Kingsley Ibe. Um, so yeah, that's uh, a lot of people saying Adelaide Bird actually had the best scorecard for once in that in that one there. <laughs> um, moving up to the top of the bill, I don't suppose you've seen this fight here, Eddie. Okay, which one was it? Jose a... Zapida and Ivan Baranchik. No, no, I didn't see it. Right, I'm gonna say no, this. Now. I'm gonna say this now. You have to watch it. You have to promise me that you're gonna watch it because this was oh. one of the best fights you will see. There were eight mm-hmm. knockdowns in five rounds. Both guys, yeah. both guys were down four times each. Um, you talk about Norton and Lyle like type stuff. This or? was crazy. I mean, not Norton, George Foreman and Lyle. Lyle. Sorry. Yeah, this was crazy. The reason why I say it is because one man knocked the other guy down. Then the guy got up unsteady, and you thought, oh, perhaps the finish is near. Then the guy that was unsteady knocks the other, you know, knocks the guy down that just put him down. It was just absolute madness. So, um, Zapida, who for me was the underdog, he was. Um, you know he was thirty two and two going in. He's kind of a solid top contender, but I don't really think he's sort of as good as Baranchik. Baranchik's real strong. Baranchik, obviously being a former world champion, only one loss to Josh Taylor, who most people would say is the best fighter in the world at one forty. So he's good. Um, we had Regis Program last week's show. He was saying it's going to be a great fight. I don't think even he predicted it. Predicted it'd be that great. Um, but yeah, he said Baranchik's really, really strong. I'm not sure if Zapita can keep him off of him. Um, Zapita was down twice in the first round, uh, once in the second round, and once in the fifth and final round. Baranchik was down once in the second, once in the third, once in the fourth, and even though he put Zapita down in the fifth, Zapita got back up and knocked him asleep. One of the most brutal knockouts I've seen in wow. recent years. So it had all the yo, sorry, go on. Joe, you Joe, you got me right now thinking about like, yo, let's just end this for real quick. Let me watch that fast real fast and let's get back on. <laughs> so I can see that. It make me make me really excited to see it. Honestly, now. man. I wish I didn't. I think there's a highlight yeah. video on YouTube so you can just see all the knockdowns. But yeah, it had all the knockdowns, all you know, like I say, one guy knocks the other guy down twice in the first round. It, it looks like a foregone conclusion, and it ends with you know both guys going down in the in the fifth and final round. Zapita was down first. When he got back up, he absolutely poleaxed Baranchik, and it was you know it, it, like I say, 
it had all the knockdowns, but the the final knockdown was was brutal. Baranchik was taken to hospital. He looked really um, he looked he yeah, looked in a lot know. of trouble actually. But apparently, you know, he's 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 okay. He's 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 fine now. Um, but yeah, it was it was just it was brutal, man. And I'm not sure what you sort of consider a good fight these days, because people have their own definitions. You know, some people would say a Mayweather masterclass is a good fight. Some people would say it's a terrible I fight. Mean, yeah, but I mean, it all depends on what you want. You know what I mean? It's you know, just like always, beauty is the in the eye of the beholder. So, you know, for me, I like watching skills, and I like skills to be tested, but. Like, if you're going to have a fight and you want to say a great fight, like, I'll give you the best example of best of both worlds was Diego Corrales, uh, Jose Luis Castillo won. That was the best fight I've ever seen. <laughs> and that's, you know, Hagler, Hearns, all of them. Now, Hagler, Hearns was crazy because that was only three rounds and the way it went. But it didn't have the drama that – or even when you look at um, um, Ali Frazier, you know, and the Thrill in Manila and things like that. It just didn't have to me the drama that Corrales Castillo had. Like anybody watching the tenth round of Corrales Castillo, be like, "Wow, how did that happen?" Type stuff, and just it just makes you feel like crazy. To when you see it, you get like a, a chill feeling when you watch it. It's, it's unbelievable. And when, and I'm getting kind of that sensation from this fight, but I just don't know how how high the skill level was. Because Corrales and Castillo were two of the best skilled fighters in the division at the time, so you know I don't know, you know, but it seems, it seems to have had the drama aspect in it too. So it would be nice to see. It. Yeah, I mean, you know, they are they are two of the best fighters at 140, so that's why it was uh, so impressive. But yeah, you've definitely got to watch it. Um, you know, it, it it really was just full of action. There's a knockdown, at least one knockdown in every single round. Um, so yeah, moving out now to the Workpoint Studio in Thailand. Um, with Saxel Wangek returned to the ring, his record now forty nine and five with a draw. Also known as Sarisakat Sorungvisai, you'll know him. He come back with a TKO in round two against Jomar Fajardo, who's who actually now has a losing record, seventeen and eighteen with two draws. Um, Sarisakat Sorungvisai, um, you know, a real good fighter and. Um, I've said it a few times, and I think he'd be proud of me for bringing it up. He absolutely loves to eat rats. So, uh, oh. not sure if, if you... Oh. Uh, oh, you definitely pass up a rat, um, Eddie. I know you... you oh, know. I definitely pass up a rat. <laughs> like, <laughs> just give me the veggies, baby. I'm standing with you back. <laughs> Moving on now to the... Uh, to the Marshall Arena in Milton Keynes. This this one took place on Sunday, October 4th. Uh, I'm going to start with the undercard here. Um, undefeated prospect, well, obviously undefeated. It was his debut. John Hedges, he's six foot four, I believe. He's a, he's a super middleweight. Um, very, very lucky to pick up a points win over four rounds against Jan Arden, who was two and four. Absolutely no one has given the fight to John Hedges aside from the referee, the, the sole scorer of the bout. So um, even John Hedges' manager actually said we were very lucky to get the result there. Um, a lot of people didn't think he deserved that one. Um, also on the bill, Alan the Savage Babich, now 5-0. and um, A TKO for him um, over three rounds against Niall Kennedy. Kennedy was down once prior to the stoppage. Um, once again, we've seen Alan Babich just completely attempt to steamroll someone. Not many skills involved. 
Um, obviously a tough guy. Um, he's kind of, in some ways, caught between heavyweight and cruiserweight. A lot of people saying he's really a cruiserweight, but he's fighting a heavyweight. He's a small guy for the weight, and um, he's just literally, you know, he just haymakers every shot, left hands, right hands, and for the first time in his career, he, he, he you know, he went past two rounds. He got into round three, but Niall Kennedy. Um, just, you know, he's up there in age as well. He, he just didn't have the punch resistance required, I think, to test Babic and take him into those later rounds because Babic, for me, was actually looking quite tired right before he got his man out of there um, or the referee jumped mm. in and, and waved it off. I'm not sure if the corner came in with a towel. I can't remember, but... Yeah, um, Babich, you know, everyone's licking their lips to fight him. You've got Tom Little wanting the fight. You've got Dave Allen wanting the fight. And, um, yeah, they, they could potentially upset upset him there. But he's still undefeated anyway, 5-0 and now. Um, definitely brings excitement, if nothing else. Um, moving up the card, Akib Fiaz picked up a win. He's now 6-0. and It was a bit of a grudge match. He was able to beat Kane Baker on points over eight rounds. I like Kane Baker, but just didn't happen for him, you know. Um, he's now 13-7. and seven. I remember being ringside one time when he boxed Sanjeev Sohota, who is a guy that's just disappeared out of boxing, still undefeated, um, just completely disappeared. Not quite sure what's happening with him. Um, and yeah, I remember Kane Baker's girlfriend going absolutely crazy ringside. I think she was tapping me on the shoulder, telling me to tell him something. He's, he's in the middle of a fight, you know. It was just madness at the York Hall. Um... A good fight, though, between Linus Yudofia, who is now 16-0. and He is still the English middleweight champion. I think he had the belt prior to this fight. It was for the English middleweight title. John Harding Jr. in the other corner was TKO'd in nine rounds. Harding Jr. was down once prior to the stoppage. He's now 8-2 and two with a draw. Linus Yudofia, for me, um, you know, he's very fit, and I felt that I don't think he was perhaps the superior boxer between him and John Harding Jr., but when it came to gas tanks, he had him. <laughs> he had his number, you know. Linus Shidofia, if nothing else, very, very fit. I'm not saying he's not um, he's not that good. I just think, you know, he's English champion. I don't know if he can go as far to be British champion. I've seen quite a few holes in his game. Obviously, he's still kind of learning. Um, he, he lost more fights than one as an amateur, so he's 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 doing well. You know, he's he's like I say, sixteen and zero English champion. He's been moved quite slowly though. Um, but you know, all the best to him. Hopefully, he gets some big fights. I just think you know the guys he could run into at British level in in the middleweight division. I'm not sure. We, we shall see. Um, a brilliant fight on the card between Chantel Cameron, who's now 13 and 0, um, against the previously undefeated Brazilian lady Adriana dos Santos Arreo. That one was for the vacant WBC World Female Super Lightweight title. Arreo firstly came in, I believe, about five pounds heavy for the weigh-in, so the belt wasn't on the line for her, um, and on the night, I'm not even sure what she weighed, she uh, she looked big in there against Chantel Cameron, who I really want to get on the podcast at some point, I've tried to tweet her a few times and stuff like that, I haven't heard anything back, but I've been a big fan of hers from day one, she's a real exciting um, female fighter, um, I've, I've been ringside for a few of her fights, and she always brings, you know, entertainment, and to be honest, normally she's a slugger, she likes to stand there and slug, which makes her very exciting, you know, we don't see that all the time in female boxing, but here, 
she decided to box and move. So she, you know, she didn't hold her feet at any point in the fight. She was landing her shots, dancing in circles, really, dancing circles round, um, boxing circles, I should say, round her opponent, who was undefeated, um, five and no, sorry, six and zero. Oh. And um, I think she was also an Olympic medalist as well in 2012 or something like that. But she was quite up there in age. But you can't really blame Chantel Cameron. She did what she did. She can only beat who's in front of her. And she beat her um, by shutout over 10 rounds. So very impressive. I really hope we get to see the Katie Taylor fight for Chantel Cameron. I really do. And the main event. Joshua Boatze, now 13-0, and 0, a TKO for him in seven rounds against the previously undefeated Marco Kalic, who is now 11-1. It was for the WBA International Light Heavyweight title. Kalic down once in the seventh round, just prior to the stoppage, and his corner jumped up on the, you know, on the... Uh, the apron and and threw the towel in and it was very very weird because the fight was in the balance really um he had a great start to the fight Kalic um you know in the third round he he hit Buatsi with a shot that made his eye instantly swell up and you know he started blinking a lot Buatsi it was really really bothering uh, bothering him and it was the first kind of piece of adversity that he's faced in his career um you know they talk about how good Buatsi is um, you know, an Olympic bronze medalist. Um, they they were even saying he's not just going to be a world champion; he's going to unify titles and stuff like that. And um, his matchmaking up to this point was quite frustrating because they say all this stuff. They say he's full of promise, and you know he's he's fighting guys that you know, that were no match for him, really. And even this fight here, Kalic was a massive underdog. You know, he had little to no hope in most people's eyes in, in the boxing circle. And um, I don't know, man. Maybe Boatsy's a bit overhyped. I'm not quite sure. Maybe he deserves it. But, yeah, he wasn't reacting good to the first piece of adversity that he's faced. He did get the win. Um, you know, Kalic's corner jumped up on the on, on the apron, like I say, and stopped the fight. But I don't know. I don't know, it's a good learning fight for him, but I, I'm i not sure. I think, you know, on that performance there, some people saying he'd they'd still favour him to beat Anthony Yard. I, I don't know. And I like Buatzi, you know. I'm from the same estate as Buatzi. He grew up two or three roads away from me. I actually had um, a mini street fight with Buatzi when we were young kids. I don't even want to say street fight, actually, because it, 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 it wasn't that. Um, we were rolling around on the floor doing wrestling moves and he almost broke my neck, but (laughs) it's another story um, for another day. Anyway, that's it for the reviewing. We've, We've come to a close on that. It's now time for the... We need to come up with a with a. What can we think of on the spot, Eddie? It's not going to be called Eddie's Quiz. That's just terrible. No, 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 no. We need to come up with um. Knockout trivia. I don't fucking know what's your name. Knockout trivia. Right, I'm gonna come up with. Some, we need we need help with these names because we're we're pretty useless at, at, at coming up with things. Um, <laughs> Definitely. I really don't know. Anyways, the question that we have. Uh, this one's been sent in from, uh, from from a trainer, boxing trainer who who listens to the podcast called John Tandy. He's uh, he's doing well over oh, here. I- you know him. I know, yeah, I know John Tandy. Yeah, I know that name. Definitely. Really? Yeah, no, seriously, I do. From here in the UK, yeah? Uh, uh, yes, definitely. Okay, that's surprising. Anyway, um, he's he's doing well at the minute. He's um, 
training a guy he's undefeated Casey Kamadi I think I think it's pronounced um he's you know world ranked and all that um but yeah his question is he says probably an obvious one but who is the heavy the heaviest heavyweight champion <laughs> I don't think it's going oh, to I would to uh, get that was it butterbean or, or butterbean or, um, he wasn't a heavyweight champion they, man Oh damn! <laughs> I thought he was in heavyweight. He's a heavyweight yeah, champion. Yeah, oh yeah, champion. my bad. Sorry, sorry about that. Well, it's uh, Nikolai was Nikolai Valuev or Valuev? How you say his last name? Yeah, yeah, you nailed it. He says, um, standing at a height of two point thirteen meters, also known as seven feet tall, and a peak weight of one hundred and forty nine kilograms, which is three hundred and twenty eight pounds. Valuev <laughs> is best known for being the tallest and heavy, heaviest world champion in boxing history. Um, he fought, didn't he? He fought Monty Barrett, right? Yeah, yeah, for Monty Barrett. But John, wait, John Roy fight, fight. Um, I think he did he fight John? Who? Um, Valuev. Yeah, did he fight John or was that? I mean, I, I, can't I don't remember. know. I know he fought. I know he fought um, Vander. Yeah. And he fought Larry Donald too. Yeah, I'm trying to remember who fought John. Uh, anyway, he fought he fought Monty, and that was the um, the biggest weight difference in a heavyweight world title fight ever because Monty was small and really? you know, Valuev was just um... fucking. He's a monster. You know? Like he was like the, the Andre the Giant. Yeah, and literally, literally that size. Yeah, he was. Well, Andre the Giant was I think like 400 pounds, but. This guy, this guy was three twenty eight, which is basically he's the same size as Shaq. Because Shaq is around that size. Yes, Shaq is huge. So imagine him. <laughs> yeah, man, that is uh, that is crazy. I heard. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I heard that he, um, after boxing, started like um, working on like kids' TV shows, um, reading stories and stuff to kids at, at bedtime and stuff, which is like the most weirdest job you can ever get because yes. he's, he's not like a guy that you'd you'd look at on the TV screen and feel really relaxed and you're going to sleep you'd you'd be quite scared yeah, and that's no, no offense to him he he uh no but it's he's a maybe big, it was like guy. scary stories maybe it was scary stories <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe they were maybe they pulled him in for the halloween specials who knows how about that <laughs> that's crazy <laughs> but all the best to big nikolai um yeah, so uh, so yeah, moving on now to the news part of the show. A few things to go over here, and if anything else develops from, you know, from now till the end of the show, I will speak about it at the very end. But what I do have for you is that the uh, the four weight world champion Donny Nietes has has joined MTK Global um, on a on a uh, you know co promotional contract, I believe, with D4G Promotions. So. Donny Nietes, um, obviously a big name um, for MTK. Also, on November 7th, we get to see Matchroom have announced a card here. It's going to be um, Devin Haney defending his WBC World Lightweight title against Yuri Orkis Gamboa. Um, and on November 27th, we get to see Daniel Jacobs headlining against Gabriel Rosado. That's going to be Friday, November 27th. I'm going to speak more about that fight closer to it because that is that's I don't like that fight to be completely honest with you. Not with Gabe at this stage in his career. I mean, you know, back in the day, it was an opportunity. It would be a great opportunity for him if he was, you know, 
the same as he was in you know the past fights. He's a big time action dude, but I don't know about now, man. Yeah, I think Rosado's got a you know he should he or someone close to him needs to look out for his health, man. He's taken some serious beatings over the years. Um, Javante Davis against Leo Santa Cruz. It was supposed to be. Um, October 24th it's now been moved to October 31st so um, mm-hmm. yeah that's that's you know it's, it's been pushed back a week so obviously last week's guest Regis Progre he's going to be on that undercard against Juan Geraldez the undefeated um, the undefeated fighter so again that's also moved back a week um, there's there's a, a real good women's boxing card that's been announced for November 14th. It's, it's Matram um, putting the show on again. We get to see Katie Taylor um, defending her belts against uh, Miriam Gutierrez, who's 13-0 with five KOs. That's a mandatory, by the way. We also get to see Terry Harper. Um, she's defending her... What belt has she got now? She's got the... WBC and IBO World Super Featherweight titles. She defends against Katarina or Katharina Fanders, I think it said. She's 13 and 0 with two KOs. She's um, half Spanish, half Norwegian. Um, I think she's the interim champion as well, something like that. So, um, yeah, that, that one should be quite good. Um, and we also get to see this one for me is the best fight on the card. And I say it for this one reason. Um, It's for a a world title. So it's a triple female world title card. Um, And again, it's on November 14th. Um, We get to see Ebony Bridges. She is a Australian fighter, um, undefeated. She takes on Rachel Ball, who um, last time out upset um, Shannon Courtney. And um, Ebony Bridges is only 4-0 and with two KOs, okay? So she's 4-0 and with, with two KOs. She's fighting for a world title. She's very, very much untested. And you're not going to probably know this, Eddie, because you're not really on Twitter. But she's pretty much famous amongst British boxing fans especially for her looks rather than her boxing. Not many people have actually seen her fight. Um, well, and she's been doing. Go on, what'd you say? No, I can imagine because <laughs> with women's boxing, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's, you know, there's popular female fighters and all, but if it's something like a female's looks are exceptional or something like that, it's probably going to overshadow because a lot of people who don't really aren't really as hardcore boxing fans enough to be watching women's boxing as much. I'm saying as much, don't get me wrong. There are people out there that are watching. Don't get me wrong. They're they're you know, they're and they're exceptional at what they do. However, I'm just saying it's not as popular. So if somebody looks a certain way, that's going to draw attention. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think that's really what it is because lots and lots of people have said, we've tried to find footage of her on YouTube. There's only like, some some uh, clips of her in in her amateur days or whatever. There's like one video, so no one's really seen her fight. They just all, you know, think she's good looking or whatever. So she's in a hard fight because you know her opponent Rachel Ball is um is is very uh you know very aggressive, and I'm really excited. We're gonna get to see if this you know this this really pretty woman that everyone's into. She's got a ton of followers now on Twitter. Is she actually any good, or is she just 
famous for her looks. Um, she's doing well outside the ring, though, Eddie, because uh, I think she managed to sell a pair of her used socks for about five hundred pounds. <laughs> okay, all right. So, uh, I mean, that's interesting. But but the thing is, I think I've I think I've seen this one. Yeah, because I, I I did because I've seen on Twitter actually, which is funny enough. There was a picture of her. I was like, wow, she's actually a fighter, or it might have been on Instagram. I'm not sure. Yeah. And I was like, wow, she's actually a fighter. That's crazy. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are other pretty girls who are world champions. Trust me. I mean, I see, I mean, you know, I'm, I've seen not say lots, but I've seen a good amount. But you know, that's pretty exceptional from what I've seen. Yeah, we shall see if she is any good. Um, yeah, we shall mm-hmm. see if she's any good. Anyway, moving on to the preview part of the show now. I'm going to start here later tonight in Ukraine. Um, Dennis Biranchik, 13-0. This one's for the WBO International Lightweight title. The thing I like about Biranchik is he um, has, has had the most craziest ring walks I've ever seen. I think one... Um, one time he came out with, you know, he was being escorted to the ring by police, and he had his um his his arms, uh, you know, handcuffed behind his back. There was another time where I think he ran through like loads of um panes of like sugar glass, so he went smashing through all these panes of glass to the ring, and I think he might have even. Did he go as 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 uh, the Incredible Hulk one time? Could could have him mistaken with someone else. Anyway, he takes on Virial Simeon, who um, we know quite well. I think he's been in there with Lee Selby. I think he's been in there with Scott Quigg. And I think they both went the distance with him. The only man to have stopped him is Shakur Stevenson. That's off the top of my head. I believe that's right. So that should be decent there in Ukraine. Moving out now to the uh, to the Caesars Palace in Dubai, United Arab Emirates. Over here we get to see the undefeated Viktor Kotichigov. Viktor Kotichigov. 12-0. This one's for the WBC International Lightweight title. He takes on over 10 rounds. Our very own Maxi Hughes. 21-5 with two draws. Coming off that brilliant upset win on a Wednesday evening over John O'Carroll. Um, he really pulled off the upset that night and he's been thrown in the deep end straight away there in Dubai. Um, Moving out now to the bubble in the MGM Grand Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, on the undercard over here, definitely one to keep an eye on. Um, real good amateur, real good professional so far. Lorenzo Simpson, 8-0 in an eight-rounder against the undefeated 11-0 with two draws. Sani Duverson. Um, also on the bill, uh, we have top in the bill. Emmanuel Navarrete, 31-1. and one. Uh, This one's for the vacant WBO World Featherweight title. He's moved up there from um, Super Bantam. And, um, yeah, he's taking on the undefeated Ruben Villa, who's 18-0. and 0. It's over 12 rounds, of course. Um, really interesting fight. Ruben Villa, um, you know, holds wins over... A hell of a lot of guys in the amateurs. He was a sensational amateur. I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think he beat Devin Haney. I think he beat Shakur Stevenson. I think he beat um, 
a whole host of names. He was a real good amateur, one of the most feared amateurs, apparently, um, even though I don't follow the amateur scene too much. Um, but yeah, as a professional, 18-0, and 0, he takes on a seasoned, top-quality fighter in Emmanuel Navarrete, but Navarrete's moving up in weight, so very interesting there, like I say, for the vacant WBO featherweight world title. Uh, moving out now to Quebec in Canada. This one takes place on Saturday night. David Lemieux, former world champion, um, 41 and 4 in a 10 rounder against Francie Untetu, who is 17 and 3. Um, moving out now to Germany, a very good fight for the German fans anyway. This one's for the interim WBA World Light Heavyweight title and the IBO World Light Heavyweight title. Dominic Bozell, 30 and 1 in a 12 rounder against Robin Krasnicki, 50 and 6. Um, all the best to both men there. And the final card to mention takes place at the BT Sports Studio in Stratford, London. Again on Saturday, we get to see Nathan Gorman, 16-1. and He's in a 10-rounder against Richard Larty. This fight, again, was supposed to take place a few weeks ago. They couldn't get Richard Larty's visa sorted in time. It's now sorted. Um, Larty, obviously, you know, he's known for having... Um, a, a quite entertaining fight with Daniel Dubois, where they both completely went at it, punch for punch, like a hockey, like an ice hockey fight. And um, he seemed to wobble Dubois momentarily, so that'd be interesting there. Also, friend of the show Willie Hutchinson gets out again. He's twelve and zero. He's in a ten rounder against Jose Fandino, who's fifteen and seven. James Metcalf, twenty one and zero. He fights for the Commonwealth title against Jack Flatley who's 16 and 1 with a draw and the main event Liam Williams 22 and 2 with a draw um obviously the mandatory for Demetrius Andrade however because of everything that's going on at the minute with travel and stuff like that that fight has kind of been pushed back a little bit I'm not sure when that's got to happen by so He's kind of dropped down a level. He's defending his British middleweight title against Andrew Robinson, who's 24-4 and with a draw. Quite a tough guy, Andrew Robinson, domestically, but he, I don't think, will be any match at all for Liam Williams. I think Liam Williams absolutely steamrolls him, unfortunately. So, um, all the best to to both men there. But, yeah, Liam Williams, that's, that's quite an easy fight, really, I believe, on paper there. But anyway, that brings the preview part to a close. So like I say, we've done the reviewing. We asked Eddie his his question, um, which, uh, you know, we need to come up with a name for that segment. So we're open to suggestions for that for sure. I've, I've done a bit of news um, and obviously the preview segment as well. And there is one other piece of news that I completely forgot to mention. For the UK Fight fans, on October 17th, um, finally, a broadcasting outlet has announced that they will be showing after all they will be showing Lomachenko against Tiafimo Lopez so you can see that on mm. the uh, the Fight TV app and again if you want money off of that because i think it's 9.99 on pay-per-view if you want money off of that there's a sign up bonus or something like that um, I've got a code for it, so hit me up on Instagram or Twitter. I can share my code with you. You can save money. I can save money. So again, that's Fight TV, F I T E TV. And if you've got a smart TV, you can literally press a button and um, throw the picture from your phone to the TV. So it's really quite good. Um, so yeah, if you need my code, hit me up. Um, and yeah, just before we bring in our sole guest on this week's podcast, the former WBO heavyweight world champion, Lehman Brewster, I'm going to say goodbye 
to you, Eddie. Thank you once again for helping me out here. And I just want to let the listeners know that, uh, you know, if you've listened to this podcast for a while or if you've ever listened to Eddie speak, you can tell he knows his boxing. He's very, very informative. He, He knows everything there is to know about boxing. And you can now book Eddie for boxing lessons on Zoom. Eddie, tell us more about that, please, and how do we how how can our listeners get in touch with you if they do want to do that? Well no, I mean it's uh it's pretty simple really. I mean you just wanna you know through Instagram or even now I have uh, I have Facebook as well. Um and even through uh a friend of mine's uh website because mine is not up at this point so you can go to coach Anthony coach Anthony com also has the uh uh, ability to get in touch with me there, but um, no, it's uh, it's pretty simple, really. Get get me and get in touch with me. Uh, well, the first time we'll do it, we'll we'll kind of discuss what the payment plan will be. I'm available for um, you know, I have the uh, what do they call it, the cash app and sell and all of those things, and really it could be anything from if you want to, you know, we can work on um, your your boxing skill, obviously. We can work on little, fine, you know, the finer points of it. Or if you wanted to ask me questions, you know, and kind of, you know, uh, not trivia, I was going to say trivia because I'm kind of thinking about who you were talking about, Joey. But, um, you know, what I would what I would uh, advise on if you had fights or, or even if your coach wanted something, you know, from me or whatever. And, um, well, you know, there's, a, there's, a, there's various different things we can go over. You know, I have the also the diet plans and what it would be like to be in camp and giving you an idea of a plan if you have a camp or something like that coming up, all kinds of things. And, um, you know, just, just get in touch with me and, we fig- and get in touch with me and we'll figure out. Absolutely. And the best way to contact Eddie, I guess, is um, on Instagram. And your Instagram is at Fast Eddie Chambers, right? Yes, sir. You got it. At Fast Eddie Chambers. Pretty, um, pretty easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, how long are these sessions, by the way, Eddie? For example, yeah, how long are these sessions? Well, I was thinking, you know, there's there's different things we can do with it, obviously. And, you know, I'm always known for going over the time because I'm, you know, kind of long-winded in, in the explanations most of the time. But um, they're generally for an hour. You know, you want to go for an hour have a nice amount of, uh, cause you don't want to just, you don't want to just go on and on and on and on and on. Cause there's, uh, can, you can get, I guess you can get out of line with it and get a little, um, long winded with things that almost don't even really matter. So we kind of want to get right to work, you know, and, and, and get straight to what we need to do and, and whatever that is. Um, don't spend too much time. Like that's why I say sometimes I'll go overtime cause we'll just spend time talking about what we did and how you can improve and, in that way, we could just save that for another session. You understand what I'm saying? It just makes more sense to have a time to adhere to, not only just for um, for the for the for the lesson itself there, but to leave room open. Maybe if you wanted to come back and do it another time, or or if there if I had more because I'm because I'm busy as hell all the time. But before, if, if I had another session, or if you had something you had to do, just let's just let's just leave it at one particular time for an hour, and even. I was thinking also for those who don't want to spend, you know, whatever I'm going to charge, I'm even thinking about doing the half hour as well. You know what I mean? To kind of give more people an opportunity to do it. Like I said, you, you can kind of squeeze some of the um, sessions into a half, a half an hour, or you can just do one session this day and then do one session another day, you know, and then make it into an hour, but you still get enough information where you can get yourself in shape or, or just information in general on, on boxing technique or whatever. Okay, excellent, man. So again, if you want to do yeah. that with Eddie, 
you can hit him up on Instagram yeah. at Fast Eddie Chambers, or you know you can always contact me and I'll put you in. I'll put you in touch. You know if it's easier if you follow us already or whatever. Um, if you don't have Instagram, yeah. hit me up and I'll put you in touch with Eddie. And um, anyone yeah. listening to me, you should definitely consider doing that if you've got an interest in learning something about boxing. If you've got an interest in losing some weight that you've no doubt gained like the rest of us during this lockdown mm. period, then even. Even me, Mr. Joe, I have done that. I'm gaining not not the not terrible weight, but I'm just saying there's some some been some gain. Really? You know what I mean? When you got when you well, it's, from the last time you were here, um, because the gyms I think were still open, at, if I'm not mistaken, at the time you were here. So I was able to still kind of go to the gym, even though it was you know a little while after, you know they closed up. But now, I mean, I'm not overly like I'm not obese or anything like that but but i have put on a few pounds and and it's mainly in the last few weeks i've been i've been working so much and i haven't been able to train like i like to train you know what i mean so i've put on like maybe about five or six more pounds than i want and i know it doesn't sound like much but for a person who's used to being on point with certain things it's just it's 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 a it's a little annoying you know what i mean not having the time to really put into you know your you know what you do and what you love to do you know what i mean Okay, man. Okay, cool. Well, like I say, um, if if you want to do that, hit Eddie up. There'll be like an introductory kind of, uh, you know, uh, time to, to sort things out, get your plan, um, I guess, you know, sorted out. And then from there, yeah, one hour sessions or whatever, hit Eddie up for the prices. If you've got Cash App, I'm sure Eddie's got a PayPal somewhere. And um, you should definitely yeah. do that, like I say, because... Uh, you know, if you've ever listened to Eddie on these podcasts, you know that he knows everything there is to know. And even if you just do one session, you will learn so much in that one session that it will be worth it even to just do the one. But, you know, there's every chance you could you could really enjoy it and want to keep coming back. So please, if you're interested, definitely hit Eddie up for that. Anyway, that wraps everything up. Just before we we uh, we bring in our sole guest, like I say, Eddie, just want to thank you once again for doing this with me. As always, I appreciate you, man. Thanks. Not a problem, man. I you know, anytime, anytime. I enjoy this. Like I said, this gets me, you know, talking about boxing, getting in talking, just in general. You know, I love to do that. So <laughs> this is an opportunity for me, just as much as you, son. Excellent, man. Thank you very much. Right, just before we wrap it up, the final thing to do is to welcome our sole guest on this week's podcast, the former WBO heavyweight world champion, Mr. Lehman Brewster. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former WBO heavyweight world champion. It is, of course, Mr. Lamont Brewster. Lamont, welcome to the show, my man. Hey, man, thank you. And, and listen, I better tell you before somebody else tells you, you're going to be mad. Is pronounced layman. Layman. That's. It's, I think it's something to do with. The, <laughs> hey, I think it's something to do with the accent. <laughs> it, but it does. It does sound like Lamar, though. So it don't. It doesn't bother me at all. It, <laughs> I do apologize, layman. I do apologize. No worries. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let me get onto this, layman. Obviously, a typical opening question, really. Um, where did your boxing journey begin? What's your earliest memory of putting on a pair of gloves, perhaps for the first time? Um, the first time I remember putting on a pair of gloves, man, I probably was about five or six years old. My father, um, my mother and my father didn't live together. They weren't married, but, um, I did live with my father when I was young, but then they separated when I was like four. But the point is this, uh, my father had a pair of gloves that, uh, he used to keep in his closet 
every time I would go over to visit on the weekends, but he would never allow me to play with those gloves. He did a little boxing in his early days as a teenager, and, uh, you know, he, I guess he held on to those gloves. And so every time he would go to the store or something, I would, I don't know, you know, like any kid, curious, I would open up the that closet, man, and uh, I'd pick those gloves up, and I would just smell those gloves because the smell of them were very distinctive, like I've never smelled uh, sweat and leather, <laughs> you know, as a kid. So, you know, to, to make a long story short, man, um, of course, like any child, I didn't have any interest in boxing, but I noticed when I would be over his house and him and his friends would always sit around and they would watch boxing all the time, man. And so, you know, as a kid, you want that that same attention that your your parents, you know, you, my father's giving his attention to this television. I wanted that same attention. But, you know, it didn't dawn on me to be a boxer, but um, what ended up happening was one, one, one day I had uh, came home from school and um, I, I had gotten in trouble the night before because my mother had some company over in the living room. And as any child, you want to be in the living room with all the adults. But she sent me to my room. And so I went in the room and I started doing my version of Bruce Lee, trying to get attention and chopping up everything in the room. And I destroyed this drum set that she had worked so hard to buy me. And so then when the company left, she came in and she gave me all the attention I didn't want. <laughs> and so so uh, the next day when I came home from school, she was like, you know, we're going to do something to get rid of all that energy. So she took me down the street to this community center. And this community center, uh, they offered all these different sports for youth. But I was, you know, I was seven at the time, so I wasn't even old enough, but because of my size, I mean, I wasn't a big kid, but I was a little tall. But uh, what ended up happening, man, was uh, the coach in boxing, he he allowed me to come into his gym, I think more so because he just liked the way my mother looked more than me. But when I walked into that gym, man, I smelled for the first time in my life outside of that closet, I smelled the whole room. They smell just like those boxing gloves, that sweat and leather. And then I'm looking at all these these guys in the gym, because back then it wasn't no girls boxing. And back then it was just, you know, guys was in the gym. They had their shirts off, everybody jumping rope. You got some hitting people hitting the bags, speed bags, heavy bags. And, man, it just, like, everything just, like, the whole universe made sense at that point. So it was at that point I felt, this calling inside of me, which I didn't even know what it what it was. It just something was like, man, this is it. This is it. Like, I don't know what it is, but this is it. And so that was the first time I, I ever walked into uh, boxing, and, and it never left my system because when I was growing up, I did other sports, but boxing was always on my mind. It was always in my heart. And then when I got about 12, I really started to take it serious, and I got really good, man. And, you know, the rest is history. (laughs) (laughs) 
I love hearing uh, hearing people's answers to that question. Everyone's got a funny story. Everyone's got a unique story, and um, the the smell of the boxing gloves there is is, is fantastic. Um, you you obviously boxed as an amateur. I believe you had around about eighty fights, winning about seventy. Um, you also boxed one of the greatest amateur boxers of all time, the triple Olympic gold medalist Felix Savon. Um, what was that like to to share a ring with him? Oh man, it was bittersweet. It was okay. I'll give you the sweet part, then I give you the bitter. <laughs> the sweet part was that <laughs> the sweet part was that he was Felix Savon. He was the great Cuban. He was the guy that no American had ever beat, and it was just like, wow, man, I'm 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 with a legend, you know. But the the bitter part was, I caught the flu. I literally had the flu. And um, I had very, very congested chest. And and so I was so sick. And I remember this, man, and it's so crazy. When I was on the U.S. Olympic team, I was so sick. It was, it was in um, Buenos Aires, Argentina. Never forget it. And I remember I had to walk the hallway the entire night of the fight really for almost two nights, but the, the night of the fight, it, it just got way worse. And so every time I would try to lay down, the fluid on my chest would make me cough so, so bad, and it hurt, man. So I would try to sit up, but then if you sit up, your, your nose is stopped up because your blood isn't flowing. So the only thing I could do was walk the hallway until I just couldn't stand it no more, and I passed out. So once I did that, man, I went to sleep probably about two hours before I had to be on the scale. And then uh, when I got on the scale, I just I remember I got on first, and they were like um, 91 ki- kilos or whatever. I'm like, man, I'm from America. I don't know about kilos. I know about pounds. Oh, and so then he got on the scale right after. But when he got on the scale, it was like he got right on and got right off. I'm like, hold on, man. First of all, this dude looked like he weighed bigger than 201 pounds. And so when I got on the scale, they were making sure, like, oh, my gosh, I stood on the scale for about a a minute or two, man. Like, they were making sure I was 201. But then when it came to him, it was like, as soon as he got on, he got right off. They were like, he good. Like, hold on, man, what the heck? So anyway, we get in the fight, man. And um, the, the first round of the fight, I, I felt like I actually won the fight um, the, the the first round, you know, or it was close anyway. But then in the second round, he had caught me with a shot, and it, it made me wobble. And then he caught me he had caught me um, later on in that in that second round, and they stopped the fight. Like he didn't knock me down or anything like that. But they stopped the fight. I'm like, hold on, man, what the heck? So, so I asked him, I'm like, man, why did you guys stop the fight? I mean, first of all, you saw I wasn't hurt. He, he said, well, we wanted you to be able to come back because you got to fight in the, in the U.S. National Championships um, in, in two weeks. And if you get a third disqualification, I mean, a third eight count, then you won't be able to fight for 30 days. So you won't be able to fight uh, in, the, in the championships. I said, so you telling me you'd rather me be number one in the United States to be number one in the world. You know what I mean? Like, you, I'd rather you had let me continue because I had already had my mind that, okay, I'm going to change up my style, this and that, this and that, because I was putting pressure on him in the first round. He was scared to death. His eyes was bucked. And then in the second round, 
like I said, with that cold, man, I was like, oh my gosh, they wouldn't let me take any medicine because it would have it would have showed up in my drug test. So only thing I could take was aspirin. So that's that's the bitter of the of the sweet of that story of fighting Felix Devon is because I didn't get to fight him when I was 100 percent, man. And hey, you know, I I don't take anything away from him, but I just I just wanted to fight him when I was at my best. That's all. Yeah, and that's fair enough. But um, no, it's great to hear a backstory to that as well. Obviously, you know, Savon being just a, a truly sensational amateur. Um, what was your highlight moment, really, of the amateurs? What was what was your best moment, your favorite moment of of those eighty fights you had? Man, you were the first person that ever, 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 ever asked me that. <laughs> it's always good to hear that. <laughs> I need to take an eight count. So I can get my head together because ain't nobody ever asked me that question. What was my best fight? Wow. Interesting. Interesting, man. Wow. I'm going to call you the sniper. You can call me off guard. <laughs> um, okay. So, and, um, <clears throat> wow. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just thinking like I really, okay. So, there, there are a couple. Okay, well, oh yeah. I guess now thinking about it, there was a guy by the name of Darrell Dixon. Darrell Dixon was the uh, reigning uh, U.S. champion from '93 uh, to '94, and so I got a chance when I was supposed to fight him in '94. I got robbed in a fight at the U.S. champion um, in, in Colorado, Colorado Springs because I fought a dude that Kevin Rooney, who, as you know, he, he used to work with Mike Tyson, he bought to the Nationals, and I was fighting him in the semifinals to go to the finals, and they ended up giving him the fight by hitting me on the elbow. Like, you can see, you can watch the tape. The dude hit me on the elbow, and I got three eight counts. Like, I never got hurt. I never staggered. This guy hit me on the elbow. He hit me on the shoulder. The first time he hit me, I got an eight count. Okay, so what? That's what happens. That's just boxing. But it ain't like I was wobbly or nothing. It's just that when he hit me because it was a good shot, you know, I, you know, you, you, you try to catch your balance. I didn't fall. I didn't almost fall. I just staggered. He gave me an eight count. Fair enough. Second time, he hit me on the elbow, eight count. Third time, he hit me on the shoulder, stopped the fight. And I was like, hold on. So then I see him fight. He goes on to fight in the finals against uh, Darrell Dixon, which I was supposed to fight in '93. Uh, and so I, I believe, no, it may have been '94. But the point is this: so I'm like, oh my gosh, man! Like this, this dude, Darrell Dixon, he's a really, really good fighter out of Chicago. Remind me of Tim Witherspoon because he had a really good overhand right. And so um, as I'm as I'm fighting this, as as I get a chance to fight him, is to as a matter of fact, is to go to the Pan American Games, which I just told you about, Felix Savant. And and it, I follow him in, in uh, Portland, Oregon, and that's the first time I've ever been to Portland. And his wife's on the national anthem for the for the events to start. So I'm like, wow, this dude wife singing a national anthem. He, he, you know, he got all the politics in his corner, but I'm like, shoot, man, he, he's fighting me. It don't even matter because I already had it in my mind just for the simple fact that 
I'm from Indianapolis, Indiana, which nobody heard of on the boxing map. And now I'm in Los Angeles, which I'm from Indianapolis. So nobody's going to respect me because, for one, I come out of 108th and Broadway because my trainer name was Bill Slayton, who trained Ken Norton. Ken Norton was his first heavyweight champ, and I was his last heavyweight champ. But the point is this. For some reason, they didn't like my style of fighting because I – I didn't fight with my hands up. You know, I, I, I fought from the up jab position, kind of the jerky jerky like like uh like Ken Norton, but just slick. And so I I knew from from previous fights that I had in California, I had to knock people out to win. So that's what I just had in my mind. Now I'm fighting Darrell Dixon and I'm like, Well, you know what? I know I can't win. His wife just sung the national anthem. Number two he he's in with the with the in crowd like he's a franchise fighter if you will you know he's he won the nationals last year so you know uh there's oh two years in a row so i said man i have to knock this guy out and so it was this rivalry because i had beat everybody and i had knocked out everybody pretty much and so when me and him fought man i just remember I I went out there. You can watch it on YouTube, as a matter of fact, man. And uh, I just used my jab, using my jab. I'm nervous because I know this dude can fight, man. And I'm using my jab, but he made the one mistake that Andrew Galata and every every other fighter that made to try to come forward. He tried to fight with me, and so when he stepped forward, he tried to hook with me. Now there there's something my father always used to tell me growing up. He said, son, don't hook. He said, never hook with a hooker. And so I called myself the prostitute. <laughs> because I I just, man, I, I first of all, I'm left-handed. And I'm com- I was converted when I was 12. So from 7 to 12, I fall softball. But at 12, by honey boy Bill Brown from Indianapolis, Indiana, by way of Louisville, Kentucky, he was a bare-knuckle brawler. That had 330 bare knuckle fights. He used to ho- he used to hobo back in the depression with Jack Dempsey. Well, he he converted me to a right handed fighter, man. But because I was left handed, I was so good with my left that that anybody that ever tried to stand toe to toe with me, I pretty much always knocked out, with the exception of an ATN because I tore my ACL. But the point is, me me and Darrell Dixon, he's trying to throw a hook. And I was expecting this overhand right. And so he's stepping in, throwing his hook, and I just got the timing of it. I got the timing of it. So, man, he went to step in and throw his hook. And, like, I, because I, I, like I told you earlier, because I always, I was a big Bruce Lee fan. I don't know if I said that. Yeah, but I was a big, big Bruce Lee fan, and I understood footwork. I understand calculation. I understand timing. I understand chi and everything that went with martial arts. So I was paying so much attention to everything he did that when he went to throw his hook, I just knew to just be a little more technical, a little more shorter, and and just perfect timing. And man, I threw that hook, dude, and he ran right into it, man. And that was it. I knocked him out to go to represent America in the Pan American Games, and I was I was made the the, the team captain, as a matter of fact. So that's. Yeah, that was the fight that I would say that stands out the most in my mind because I beat the man that that everybody would had beat. He had beat everybody, and everybody was afraid of him or whatnot. So I knocked him out. 
<laughs> no, that's great, man. That's great to hear that. And I'm pleased that no one's ever asked you that. That makes me feel good as well. Um, Layman, getting on to your pro career, uh, you turned pro November 8th, 1996 in Las Vegas against Moses Harris. The fight only only went one round. Um, do you remember much of your pro debut? Do you remember having any pre-fight nerves or anything like that at all? Yeah, man. Um, I had a lot of pre-fight nerves because of the fact that, um, wow. So there was a gentleman by the name of Bobby Finch, and Bobby Finch used to be a bodyguard. He did security for the gentleman by the name of Mitch Stein, who allowed me to come out to California and live in his house and sleep in the bed with his kids or sleep on the floor. But he was the one that was responsible for really helping me to uh, take my boxing career further. Um, I, I graduated from high school um, in June, and in August I went to California. First time I ever been to California, didn't know nobody and didn't have no money. But he was this man, he was a lawyer. He's like, if you ever in California, look me up. And so I did. And immediately he, he, he hooked me up, man. That's how I, me and Montel actually ended up getting together. And I got the apartment and asked Montel to live with me and whatnot, man. Um, but Bobby was his security because he was, uh, they called him the Doberman. Uh, they called Mitch Stein the Doberman. And he was a high, he was a, a, a trial lawyer. And matter of fact, his, his office was 9,000 Sunset right across the street from um, uh, the, the Roxy. And so I remember I would always sit in his office, but Bobby used to be a security guard because so many people hated this dude because he was unbeatable. <laughs> and, and the point is, me and Bobby, we became best friends. Like, if I could say to you, like, for, for instance, I'm the oldest of four boys, and... I've never had anybody in my life that I considered older than me that was like my brother. Like, I loved this dude like a brother. But the point is, he ended up getting killed, man. He lived in Compton, and some stuff went down in Compton. They, they, they say it was behind that whole Tupac mess that happened. But he got killed. And this this man, had, had he had been with me like like you like we was like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, man. If you seen him, you saw me. If you saw me, you saw him. And he, he was a positive dude. He wasn't no thug or nothing, but he did do time in prison. And that's how he got so big. But he had gave his life to Christ and he really was a good dude, man. And so he got killed. And I remember it was right before I was getting ready to turn professional. And so when I turned professional, I dedicated that fight to, to Bobby Finch. And I remember he used to always wear this hat called No Fear. And so I wore that hat into the ring. And I, I remember because it was on the undercard of, of uh, it was on the undercard of Ike Bayabuchi. And then uh, he was the headline. Hasim Rockman was on the card. It was a Cedric Kushner uh, uh, card. It was it was an Arizona Charlies in, in uh, Las Vegas, man. And, uh, you know, it, it just meant a lot to me because I had been through so much in my life. And now here I am turning professional. I didn't get to make it to the Olympics. And, uh, you know, man, it was it was just like an unreal moment. And so the guy I was fighting, they told me he was a, he was a conventional fighter. 
I come out, this dude is softball. Like, oh, my gosh, my first fight is against a softball, man. And I hadn't, you know, it ain't like I had any fight tape on this guy or anything. So when I got in the ring and when the bell rings and then, you know, you just got to adjust on your feet. But thank God, because of all of the um, the boxing experience as an amateur, I had fought softballs. It wasn't no big deal. I was able to take care of business. But that fight meant a lot to me, man, because – that was my dedication to Bobby because I know without Bobby, I wouldn't, you know, I, I wouldn't be here today. Like he was my big brother. He gave me the courage and I'm in Los Angeles all by myself. And he gave me that protection that I felt that I needed that I, I know I needed, you know, just to get up every day and run no matter where I was, he'd come get me. And he was always there for me. So that fight meant a lot to me. No, again, it's it's brilliant to get this backstory, and um, you know, you mentioned there obviously Ike Ibiabuchi on the on the card as well, Hassim Rackman. Um, you were really, you know, fighting on cards with big name guys um, very quickly. Obviously, in your in your second pro fight, um, Tommy Hearns was on that card as well. But moving forward, uh, let's fast forward to May the sixth, two thousand. By this point, you're twenty three and zero with twenty KOs, fifteen of them within just two rounds. Uh, you came up against the then undefeated fifteen and zero Clifford Etienne on this occasion in Pittsburgh. Um, it would be your your first career loss on points unanimously and and wide actually over ten. What do you recall of that bad night there? Well, you know what, man? Um, there were circumstances why I lost that fight. Um, and it was my fault. Um, number one, I was I used to be married to an actress. And uh, it was a very hard breakup. It was a hard divorce for me mentally because, like I said to you, um, I lost a go to the Olympics. Me and my wife split up, and I lost my best friend. I lost all this. All this happened within three months. So it, it, it really, really, really mentally had an, uh, an effect on me. Now I had moved on with my life, and I had remarried and everything, man. But at the same time, because she was a big actress, I wanted to prove to the to to the world and to her. I want everybody to see that they made a mistake on on doubting me. And so I was fighting this guy, Cliff ATN, and I'm undefeated. Um, this is on HBO. This is my first time ever fighting on HBO. So I'm super pumped up. And so by this time, I'm, I'm, I'm managed by a guy named Sam Simon who created Bart Simpson, co-creator of The Simpsons. And so... Everything was just great, and this was my chance to shine and show the whole entire world who I am. And so I'm training. I'm training. I trained at Wild Card with, at Freddie Rose Gym. Um, now I don't make no excuses. I lost the fight. I'm just gonna put that out there. But I'm gonna tell you my side of the story. Uh, number one, for that particular fight, I trained to box him. I couldn't get sparring for some reason. I don't know why. Just I could not get sparring. But that's not no excuse. Um, number two, I was so hyped up before the fight that I lost my cool. 
because all this time I saw that he was undefeated and he was from prison and everybody, I'm like, man, hold on, man. He ain't did half for the things I've done. I'm Layman Brewster. Are you crazy? I'm I'm one of the most decorated amateur heavyweight. I'd have knocked out everybody in the amateurs. Like, really? I'm going to kill this dude. But I said I was going to box him because the rule in boxing is don't slug with a slugger and don't box with a boxer. Being that he was a slugger, I didn't want to. I didn't want to slug, so I trained that entire camp to box him. But because of the magnitude of the fight, my first time on HBO, and I'm super excited. I wasn't able to control my nerves. I wanted to show the world who I really was, and then my trainer, God rest his soul, Bill Slayton, as I'm walking to the ring, he says, "Son." You be the boss. And when he said that, I just took him already like, man, I'm on HBO and this and that. I'm undefeated. I'm the whole world about to see. I'm about to, man, I'm about to be the coming of the next Mike Tyson. And so I, I just totally let my game plan go out the window. So when I get into the ring, I noticed that the ring was a little soft. Now, a soft ring is made more for a brawler. But, again, I told you I came out to box. My whole goal was to box, keep him on – keep me stay on the outside, keep turning him because I felt like ain't no point in slugging with him even though I can slug, but I want to show people that I can box because I can. Um, but what happened is when the bell rang, I was so excited. My, my energy, everything was – my adrenaline, I was, I was just hyped, man. I, I didn't – calm down. And like I said, my trainer said, you be the boss. I was like, look, forget that. I ain't boxing. I'm fighting this dude, man. And so I just came out and just start winging punches at the, you know, I'm throwing from the, from the fence, man. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to knock this guy's head off, man. And he had one of them kind of styles where he kept dipping down, dipping down. Now I could have did what, what any fighter would have done that, that cheats. And I could have chopped down on the back of his head and knocked him out. But I, I'm not a dirty fighter. I, I don't believe in that. So I didn't do that. Uh, even though I did pay for it because by him dipping down, every time he raised up, he kept hitting me in my eyes. And I had cuts on both eyes because of his head. And the ref never caught it. But this is the whole point why I lost the fight. And if, so this is ironic. I'm having this conversation with you because right now I'm, I'm, I'm having – I'm having trouble right now as we speak. I've been icing my ankle right now for the last two or three nights because of this. So when I fought ATN, as I, as I told you, the, the canvas was it was cushiony. It wasn't a bouncy. It was one of those where your feet sink down into the to the to the um, canvas. So anyway, when he came when he came out and I came out, we both started just winking at each other, man. Just street fighting. I'm from the street, so let's do it. I wanted to prove something. But I was I was trying to bite down so hard, whereas when you when you get into your hips and you're turning from your hips, your knees, your ankles, your thighs, when you're putting your, your weight behind your punches, you have to put your foot, your feet flat on the, on, in the canvas, which is what I was doing. But being that the canvas was so soft, when I went to go crank one of my big hooks at him, I tore my entire 
uh, partially torn. It wasn't complete torn, but it was partially torn. I tore my meniscus, my patella tendon, my inter- uh, every part of my knee it was ripped. And so from that point on, in the first round, I couldn't hardly stand on my on my left leg. But my adrenaline was so high, I just kept fighting. And how I made it, I don't know. But I remember when I went back to the corner, I didn't want to tell my trainer because he was asking me what was wrong. And I was like, nothing. You know what I mean? Because I, I knew he would have stopped the fight because he cared more about me as a, as a as his son, which he raised me as, than me as a fighter. So I didn't say anything until after the fight. And, of course, he chewed me out. But at the same time, man, I didn't. I didn't want the fight to be stopped, but from that point on, man, I could never put my weight on my left leg. So if you watch the fight, I'm I'm pretty much on one leg, and I'm kind of fighting on my back leg more than anything because I can't put any weight on my left leg because I didn't just torn everything. And I remember the next day as me and my wife was coming down the escalator, he was already in line checking out. And so when I was coming down, he was watching me come down, and I had to suck it up. Like, I immediately, no matter how much pain I was in, I just I just sucked it up. And I just let, I, I just, good fight, man, blah, blah. But I refused to let him know I was in pain. But I remember for three days after that, I could not. I couldn't even, I couldn't walk anymore. It was, it was, I chipped the bone in my ankle and I tore my, my, um, like I said, my ACL and my every, all, all the, all the ligaments in my left knee, I, I partially torn. And so, as I say, it's funny, I'm having this conversation because for the last three nights, I, and it's funny because I walk, I don't walk flat with my left foot anymore. I, I kind of walk on the, the, the right side, I'm sorry, the left side of my left foot because I can't put my leg straight because there's a chip bone, the fragments, and I never allowed them to suck it out because I didn't want the surgery. But I'm paying for it now as now I'm 47, and that was umpteen years ago. It's really bothering me now. So it's just it's crazy that you asked me that because I lost that fight simply because I tore my ACL and, and chipped the bone in my ankle, and, and that was... That actually led up to why I even lost my second fight to a guy by the name of Charles Schufer. Yeah, which I want to get onto because obviously, you know, four months after that fight, there uh, you were back out at the Silver Smith Casino. You picked up an easy win against Val Smith, a first round KO, and then, like I say, well, like you say, four weeks after that, you're back in action. Perhaps a little bit too soon, um, and yeah, Charles Shufford, unanimous. Uh, you know, unanimous loss over over ten rounds on the Mayweather versus Augustus undercard in Detroit. Uh, yeah, so two losses in just a five month period. Tell us about that one there, uh, Layman. Well, what I did after after the ATN fight, there's a, a gentleman by the name of Dr. Leroy Perry, and he has a, a he has a a, a back place. It's a, it's a he's he's a, a back specialist, and it's called. Um, ISI Institute in, in Los Angeles, he told me that he, he, he was going to try to help me to strengthen my knee without having surgery. So he found these people up in Vancouver and they, they had me to, they, they flew me up to Vancouver and they put my knee in this box that, that uh, it sends these uh, electrical pulses, these signals, uh, electrical pulse, something like for one hour, I did it twice a day. You probably do it for ten, um, ten. Um, 
You're supposed to do it. The treatment is ten times, so I did it twice a day, up until I I did the the, the ten treatments. But the point is this: it actually reattached my ligaments in my knee without surgery, and so I was able to take that fight with with uh, Val Smith. But then after I won that fight with Val Smith, um, because I had gained so much weight, when HBO called and said, "Well, we have another Showbox fight for you," I was like, "Yes." They were like Charles Shuford. I said yes because I was training under Michael Dokes in the amateurs, and Charles Shuford was in the gym, and, and Charles Shuford was far with me when Michael Dokes was training me, and I used to, I used to, I used to beat Charles Shuford up when we sparred. I mean, he was a good fighter, don't get me wrong, but I would always get the best of him. So I was like, oh, this would be great, and this would be an easy win because I am, you know, fighting Charles Schufer. Now I already got experience with this guy. Like, he's a he's a boxer from the outside, and I just felt like, okay, well, he's a little scary, and I know how to beat this guy. But I wasn't satisfied because, like I said, I had gained so much weight from um, ATN because after the ATN, the doctor, he told me I had to be on bed rest. And that was the first time in my entire life I had to be on bed rest. So all I did was watch Dragon Ball Z and eat junk food. So I blew up. I gained so much weight in such a short time, man. And so even when I fought Bob Smith, I wasn't at the weight that I wanted to be at. But when I got to fight for Charles Shuford, I was like, okay, you're going to be on TV again. You're going to win this fight. So you got to make sure that your weight is right. So I did the worst thing that a person could ever do. I asked a non-boxer about how to how to lose weight. I, I went to Gold's Gym in Venice Beach, and I was asking some of the weightlifters, because they look great, naturally, uh, how do you lose weight? Now, yeah, I'm a heavyweight, but... My weight meant the most to me because I believe that no, like, I, like my, my for instance is this. If you took a B-52 bomber and you loaded it up with all the, the weapons, including atomic bombs, it could never be the F-16 in the air. So my thing was I wanted to be the F-16. So I had, in order to be F-16, I had to shave off some of this weight because I want to look good on TV winning. And I'm going to fight in Detroit, Joe Louis Arena. You know, like, wow. I mean, this was my chance to redeem myself. So I'm starving myself according to what the weightlifters was telling me, which was don't eat any carbs. Well, I'm, I have to admit, man, I was ignorant. I didn't know that carbs is the thing that gave you energy. I didn't know that. I thought if you were eating meat, I mean, I thought if you had, if you were eating meat, then you had energy. And so when I'm training, I'm real tired all through camp. But I thought it was just because I was training super hard because I really, really wanted to get my weight down. Well, guess what? I got my weight down. But because I had totally depleted my body of carbs, I, I guess that I thought that once the week of the fight came, I could just eat carbs and then I would get my strength back. I was so freaking dehydrated that it wasn't until two weeks after the fight that I actually felt like I was strong enough to fight. So when I got when I when I fought this guy, man, in the first round, I remember I didn't want to jump on him and, and like I really wanted to take my time, unlike the ATM fight, because I'm on television, I'm gonna control my nerves and I wanna make sure that I don't tear my knee. So anyway, when the when the bell rings, I go out. I'm I'm just taking it easy with with him, and then I got him in the right position, and I hit him, boom, 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 
And man, when I hit him, I said, I got him. I'm going to go on and finish him off. And it was like something from a Bugs Bunny uh, cartoon, man. It was like somebody was under the canvas with a magnet, with a magnet. And then I had like uh, magnets in my shoes. And I, I couldn't lift my legs. I couldn't lift my arms. It was like somebody had depleted my body of all of my energy. It was like I was Superman and, and there was some, some, some kryptonite right under the ring. And it was zapping my energy. And so from that point on, man, I, I just was talking to my body like, okay, we're going to throw the jab. We're going to take the left leg. We're going to take a step. And then we're going to throw the left hand. All right, ready? Go. Now, I talked to myself through the whole fight. And the only reason why I didn't quit, man, is because I'm not a quitter. And I remember every time I was going back to the corner, if you watch, I didn't even care if the, if the stool wasn't there. I just sat down. If the stool wouldn't have been, I would have just sat on the floor because I was so freaking tired, man. I'm telling you. And then I, I – and. People get mad, or shall I say, Schubert got mad when he heard other interviews when I said, like, man, he could have knocked me out, but he was scared. All he wanted to do was run and box, which is what he did. But, man, I was so freaking that if he would have pushed me, I would have fell. I really did. I didn't have no energy. So the fact that he wanted to fight, you know what? God bless him, man. You know what? He, he, he beat me. I can't say he didn't beat me, but, you know, when I, when I offered him, to fight me when I was healthy, like he wanted like ten billion dollars to fight. I'm like, hold on, man, I ain't got ten billion, but if I did, I'd give it to you. But like, he didn't want to, he didn't want to give me the rematch. You know, I get it. I wouldn't want to fight me either, especially when I'm right. <laughs> and Layman, just before we move on, I just want to um, pause this and just make sure that everything's recording properly. Nothing, nothing hasn't been recorded. I just want to make sure because there was a couple of weird noises on my end that was coming through. I just want to make sure it's all good. Can I hit you straight back? Yeah, man, that's cool. All right, Lehman, perfect. I'll call you straight back in about one minute's time. We'll carry on. I was just going to say, I, uh, yeah, I stopped it there for a second because I heard a couple funky noises a few minutes ago. And um, for some reason, from that point onwards, there was like a slight distortion with the sound. It's still very listenable, but I'm glad that I noticed it when I did. Otherwise, it would have been problematic. Um, But now it's all good. I fixed it. So we're we're all good to carry on. Um, You spoke there, obviously, about the the, the Shuford fight. this time after that, you know, this time you spend an entire year out the ring before returning in Inglewood with a first round KO over over Joey Guy. Um, four months later, obviously, I'm sure you're you're happy about this one. Um, you know, you you come back against Nate Jones for the WBO NABO heavyweight title. You become the only man to ever stop him when you got rid of him in three rounds in Red in PA. Obviously, he was a guy you had history with in the amateurs in the Olympic trials. Um, after that, you gather a further three wins, all by knockout, um, against Willie Chapman in six, Tommy Martin in three, and Joe Lennar also in three rounds in March of 2003. You were then out the ring for 13 months before your next big fight, which of course would be the big one for the, for the vacant WBO heavyweight world title against Vladimir Klitschko. The fight takes place at the Mandalay Bay in Las Vegas. Tell us about the night, layman, that you achieve every boyhood's dream of becoming heavyweight world champion. Well, you know, man, that that was kind of a, uh, I don't know the word that I want to use, but Amazing. so I was out of the ring for, 
Yeah, well, you know what? But leading up to it, man, is what, what I'm getting at. Um, when I, when I had the the, the, the previous fight, yeah. uh, when I fought the Joe Leonard guy, uh, I remember at the Thomas and Mack Center, wherever that was. Um, I get a. I went to the. I went to the WBO convention down in Miami, and um, I had beat Nate Jones, and that moved me from number number. Uh, that moved me to number one spot, man. But instead. And I was supposed to fight. Um, um, what was it? what's the what's the gentleman that uh, he he's dead now from South Africa, the guy that actually docked out Vladimir oh, before Corey I Sanders, did. Corey Sanders. Yeah, man. So I was supposed to fight Corey Sanders, but um, the WBO has sent me a letter that stated you're number one, and you're supposed to fight Corey Sanders. So I go to camp to fight Corey Sanders. And it's the first training camp I've ever been to, and I ended up. Um, they ended up. Don King tells me to go back home, and so um, I have to sit and watch Vladimir Klitschko fight every three months on television while I sit on my sofa. They they tell me I can't fight. I can't have no tune up. If I have a, if I do anything other than fight for this world title. Even though I gotta pay these these uh sanctioning fees, that they're they're gonna remove remove me from 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 being able to fight for this title. So I just train every day, six days a week, like I was getting ready for a title fight. Man, I was going to the gym and I was running, I was eating, I did everything I was supposed to do. So um, when I get this fight, man, this first time I. I'm fighting for a world title and, you know, first time I'm in training camp and like I said, I was in training camp for the first time, but they told me to go home because Corey Sanders didn't want to fight me. So he gave his title up to go fight uh, Vitaly Klitschko, which made more sense financially for him, but I wouldn't give up no title. But anyway, he didn't want to fight me. God rest his soul. So I'm waiting on Vladimir and and they're letting him fight and fight and fight and fight, and he's getting sharp and sharp and sharp and getting his confidence. I'm just sitting on the sidelines. So uh, when I when I get the chance to fight him, I have my my trainer from from Swindon, um, Patty. Uh, actually, he's Irish, but uh, Patty he he was he was training me um, for this fight, and I was I was. Uh, I was just ready, man. Um, this is the first fight I've ever had in my entire life where I didn't feel no fear. This is the first fight I ever walked into, and there was no part about the fight that I felt afraid because I had did everything that I knew I could do to get ready for this fight. Every sacrifice that you could think of making, no sex, eating eating right, sleeping, just everything I was supposed to do, man. Um, I took I My idol was always Marvin Hagler. And he said that he he would he would he said that he would uh he said training camp was like a prison without 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 walls, and I understood once I got there what he meant, man, because we were there, and all I saw all I saw was the people around me. I gotta see these ugly dudes every single day, man, to the point where when you when I left camp, the ugliest woman. And Big Bear looked like the prettiest thing I've ever seen because all I saw was these ugly dudes month after month. And, and you know, it's like I was irritated. And I, I know I did everything I was supposed to do, man. And uh, I remember 
you know, I'm a big Dragon Ball Z fan, man, and I remember when uh, there was this episode where, um, um, gosh, uh, what, what the heck is his name? Um, I can't even think of his name right now, but one of the the main guy of the show, he he was getting ready to fight this dude who was supposed to be like the greatest fighter in the universe, but he said that they asked him was he nervous that that he was that the guy was coming to the earth to fight him and nobody's ever beat him beat him, and he said he wasn't nervous because he tr- he said he did everything that he could Goku, he said I did everything that I could do. So that's why I'm relaxed, because it ain't going to make no difference. There's nothing I'm going to do between the time I get in the ring and now. Ain't nothing going to change, so why be nervous? So when I when I was getting ready to fight Vladimir, I knew I was 100% ready. My trainer, Bill Slayton, had just died in October of, of 2003, and I'm fighting him in 2004 for the world title and. Years years before that, me and my trainer had saw this guy. He's coming to America. He's disrespecting all these American fighters. They're scared of him. He's knocking them out. He he just, you know, he came with that whole Rocky Dragoff type of, um, um, I guess, like 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 he portrayed himself like he was the next Dragoff. And I'm I'm like, what? Like he, I've heard a couple of interviews where he kind of was like, you know, American fighters are trash and this and that. And I'm like, well, hold on, man. Are you serious? And me and my trainer, we always knew we could beat him, always. So I just had that confidence going into that, going into that fight that I could beat this dude. And that's the first fight I've ever had where I didn't feel no nerves. I didn't feel nervous at all because I know I did everything that I could do to prepare for that fight. So when the fight, when the fight took place, man, I, I was just 100% ready. Like, like I was, I was, I was so ready. I was so prayed up, prayed up, ate, I slept, I drank. I did everything you could do. So all I could do was win. I didn't leave no excuse where I should lose. So, you know, I wanted to make sure that I could honor my trainer and what I did was after I won my belt, and I don't think I ever told anybody this, after I won my belt, I went back to Los Angeles, and I went to the graveyard of my trainer, Bill Slayton, and I stood over his grave, and I held my belt up, and I just thanked him and cried like a little girl. <laughs> oh, that's nice, man. I've I've heard people say similar things about people that they've lost, but that's um, that's that's an ultimate way to... To, to, to pay your respects um, to, to knock Vladimir Klitschko out though in five rounds to do it uh, with, with 13 months of inactivity under your belt and, and just the whole thing what did it really mean to you personally Layman to, to, to become heavyweight world champion you know we spoke about the fight we spoke about the build up but, but to actually do it to actually get there you say you always felt you could beat him but to achieve a dream like that like it's you know just people just don't get to achieve that level uh, of of reality you know in many ways well the thing of it is and I'll tell you a funny story so from the time Sugar Ray Leonard beat Marvin Hagler, my idol, something came up out of me when I was in Indianapolis, Indiana, sitting in my mother's basement watching television on the ESPN. And you know how the ESPN trailer, the dun-da-dun, dun-da-dun, and it said, Sugar Ray Leonard has beat Marvin Hagler. Now, I wasn't old enough 
and I didn't have the money if I was old enough to even go see the pay-per-view at the time when you'd have to go to a place to watch it, you know, but so when he beat Sugar, when Sugar Ray Leonard beat Marvin Hagler, and don't get me wrong, big Sugar Ray Leonard fan too, but when he beat my idol, man, something rose up out of me for the first time in my entire life and was looking down on me and said, man, you're going to be a world champion. And so from that point on, I think I was about 13 years old. I just prayed to God every single day, 365 days out of the, out of the year, which is every day, every time I prayed. From the time I was 13 until I was 31 to let me be world champion. Every day. Every day. So if I ask for, uh, I would pray God forgive me of my sins, but I'd also always ask him in the same breath, let me be world champion. And then naturally at 13, I wasn't a heavyweight. So it went from middleweight, super middleweight, uh, light heavyweight, cruiserweight, heavyweight. But the point is, of all the all the things to become a heavyweight champion in the world, man, that means so much to me, and I pray to God so much that once I beat Vladimir Klitschko, I, I lie to you not. For eight months after I won the title, I woke up every day and said, "I'm heavyweight champion of the world." But here's the point: every every day before I went to sleep, I got on my knees to pray. I'd ask God, I would start to ask God in, in my prayer because I've been doing it for all these years to let me become heavyweight champion of the world that I'd have to stop in the middle of my prayer and say, oh, I am heavyweight champion of the world because I, I was so used to asking God let me be a champion that now I am champion. I don't need, I, I forget because it was just part of my prayer. So it took me eight months to stop asking God to stop wanting to ask God to let me be something that he blessed me to be, you know? Wow, man. <laughs> let's let's discuss your title defenses. We'll start with the first one, which took place uh, just five months after the, the Klitschko win. It was back at the Mandalay Bay. You took on Cali Meehan. Uh, the fight ended in a split decision, though, over 12 rounds. Yeah, that was that was actually the first time you ever went 12 rounds as well, by the way. Tell us about that one. Man, I hated that fight because Kali was my friend. He's my brother, even to this day. I love that dude like a brother. Like, I'd be there for him right now. He helped me to get ready for the Crisco fight. And so, and being camp with him, when they gave me the, the – so this was the thing. They, they told me after the fight I had to turn around and defend my title right away. I'm like, but hold on, man. I, I don't even get to enjoy – I don't even, like, they didn't give me a chance to even get to understand what it was to be a champion. Like I said, I'm still waking up. I'm still going to sleep asking God to let me be a champion. Now you tell me I got to defend my title. I don't get to have no vacation. I don't get to do nothing. Like, really? And so I was just, huh? Like, I didn't understand that. But then, like I said, I'm fighting Collie Meehan. I've been in camp with him. I thought that it was a fight that it would be easy. Not that it would be easy because, first of all, Kali was a tough dude, and if it wasn't for Kali, ain't no way I would have beat Vladimir. Um, and he was dangerous. He can punch. So I knew, and I just thought to myself, as long as I was in shape, I could beat this guy in his business. And it was business in my mind all the way through camp, all the way up until I got to the hotel. And as I pull up to the hotel, 
I think Kali set this up. <laughs> as I pull up to the hotel, before I see Kali, as soon as I'm walking into the hotel to get registered, the door opens. All Kali kids run out and just hug me. Uncle Lehman! Man, it melted me. All the, I'm tough, all the, I didn't train to beat Kali, it and went out the door. So I can't, how am I going to beat this dude when I, 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 I'm just, I, I'm, I'm in my emotional state now. So I'm trying to get past that, man. I'm trying to get past that, you know. And um, it was just a really tough fight. So when I got into the fight with Kali, man, it was like I couldn't, I couldn't, that killer instinct wouldn't, it wouldn't allow me to step on the gas, man. I couldn't pull the trigger like I wanted to, man, because it was like, this the dude to help me to win my title. This the dude who I done fell in love with this dude's family and, you know what I mean, his wife, his kids. I, I love this dude, man, like my brother to this day. And it's like, how do I fight this guy, you know? And he's he's not the colleague that was in camp. He's the colleague that's fighting to be heavyweight champion of the world, which is totally different. And so I'm in there counting rounds like, man, this fight is so freaking close. And then the third round, I came back and I said to my trainer, Shadid, so look, that's how I'm losing this fight, ain't I? He said, that's what I've been trying to tell you. Because in my mind, it's a sparring session, you know? And, and so I was counting rounds, counting rounds. I knew it was close. And when the bell rung, I said, man, I think I got, I think I won by one point. Because I, I, I've been counting rounds in my head since the amateurs. Sure enough. I won by like one round, and I knew it. But if they would have gave him the fight, I, I couldn't have been mad. That was my was my fault, man. But I thank God that I got the victory. That's why I took the fight with Galata afterwards because I wanted to redeem myself. I wanted to show the world that that was really just a fluke. Like I just couldn't, I couldn't fight with that killer instinct with with Kali. So I wanted to make up for it with Galata. But when it came to Galata, I didn't know that. They were going to do the, the crafty, dirty things that they did, which is why Galata ended up making me so angry. And that was the first fighter that I ever fought out of anger where I didn't want to fight in, in terms of a boxing match. I wanted to street fight with the dude because he tried to intimidate me. And the fact that I am heavyweight champion of the world, I can't even fight in my hometown and then Donald, uh, not Donald, I was Donald Trump, but because Don King told me that, that they were having the March Madness, which is the basketball where they play and everybody fills up the city and take out a hotel. So I couldn't, I couldn't uh, fight in, in my hometown in Indianapolis. So he said I could fight in Chicago and fight Galata. And Galata would be a, a good name for me to be able to redeem myself. So I listened to him, though I, I you know, I did what I did. I, I listened to him. I took the fight. And uh, the thing about it was that as a champion, you, you get the right to, to veto anybody that is associated with that fight that that you want out, out of out not working within that fight. I found out that the referee was Galata's friend, and he was uh, his trainer's best friend. And that he was, they, I had fighters telling me, people, even Montel's from there said he was the most, people, I ain't saying Montel said it, but other people told me he was the most crooked referee in the state of Illinois. And now you telling me he is Galatas, he's my, he's my uh, referee, and we're in Chicago, which is the largest Polish population outside of Poland in the entire world. I said, man, look, 
there's no way I'm going to win this fight if I don't knock this guy out. So then the day before, uh, they they asked us to go to this, this interview early in the morning. Now, mind you, I've been training on on a West Coast time, Pacific time, so I'm three hours behind. So I got to be there like six in the morning, which is three o'clock in the morning in L.A., so I'm tired as heck. So I, I get there. And he gets to, he arrives at the same time pretty much with his team. And then they're going to say the room is too small for anybody from the team to come in. So you two just come in because we got all these cameras that's hooked up around the world, the satellite feed for them to ask you questions. So me and him go in this room. And it's just the two of us. It's early in the morning. I'm tired. And so the, 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 um, the, the interviewer says, well, I'm going to start with you, Galata, uh, Mr. Andrew Galata. Uh, what does this mean to you to be fighting in your hometown and with all the polling watching? What are you what are you gonna do in this fight, man? This fool jumps up and and runs over and stands over me like he was gonna hit me and start pointing his finger in my face, talking about I'm gonna knock you out. And I'm looking at this fool like, are you stupid? Do you know I'm from the hood? Do you know I got ten dudes outside this door with guns will kill you? You know what I mean? If I don't kill you, why you playing with me? You don't play with a grown man. And I'm angry because I'm like, I'm tired. I'm, you know what I mean? Like, dude, first of all, I'm fighting you in your hometown. Um, second of all, um, you with my mandatory. So I gave, I'm like, I'm doing you a favor. And this is the way you're going to repay me. And then third, um, this referee, they telling me I can't remove him out of the corner, like he's the only referee in the state of Illinois. So I'm I'm already irritated with this dude, man. And so then the next day, me and this guy, uh, we we get to the arena. I'm in the arena. Everything is cool. And, and I'm getting ready to walk out the tunnel to go out into the ring. As I'm walking out the tunnel, for the first time in my entire life, I ain't never seen this show on a movie. I ain't never even thought about this. Somebody or some somebody opened the, the roof on the arena and it's raining. Except it ain't rain. It's all the Polish people standing over the tunnel spitting down on me like I'm a fucking dog. Wow. Use my my a spitting on me. Now, number one, you're not my mandatory. I'm doing you a favor. Number two, you done jumped in my face and you're trying to intimidate me the day before the fight. Number three, you got your best friend uh, in, in the corner working the, working the fight, and he's the most wicked, the most crooked referee. And number four, these people are spitting on me. Man, if you saw when I – so my team – we, we, I mean, they, they're trying to cover me and hurry up and get me into the ring because these people are spitting on me. I've never seen that or even heard of that. So when I get into the ring, I'm so freaking mad that I'm shaking. Like, like I can't even, I can't even, I don't even care about boxing no more. Y'all could have that title. I'm killing this dude right here. And so when the bell rung, I just ran across the ring, man, and he made the one mistake. The one mistake every fighter that's ever made, with the exception of 18, because I tore my knee, he tried to stand right there in front of me and fight. I'm not Riddick Bowe. I'm not Mike Tyson. I'm Layman 
Brewster, and any man who tries to fight toe-to-toe with me has always gotten knocked out on the street and in the gym. And so he found out the hard way. <laughs> and, um, you know, they say you shouldn't fight on emotion. You boxed on, well, you fought. I'm not going to say boxed. You fought on emotion that night there. Um, and it worked for you. You obviously, uh, you broke a record as well that night. Tell us about that. 52, 53 seconds? Yeah, man. Um, and I, I, I joke because I say it could have been faster, but he had to get back in the ring after the second time I knocked him down. He fell off the ring. So if he would have not fell off the ring, it would have been quicker. You know, the fastest knockout in heavyweight championship title fight. And so that means a lot to me because when I was, when I was in Las Vegas training for this fight, um, my wife was pregnant and, uh, she, would take my kids to school, but they would start running a trailer about the fight. And so instead of dropping my my daughter off, um, instead of dropping my daughter off and then going to the, um, I don't know if that was my son. No, it must have been my, yeah. So, okay, that was my two kids. So she dropped off my, my two children on the next street over at the school, and she would normally go to the gym. And when... Instead of going to the gym, she decided just to come back home. And she had a, a, a car that, you know, was a, the FX35. It's pretty distinctive, so you could hear the engine. Come to find out, my neighbors, they saw me on television um, advertising for this Galata fight, and they knew that I was out of town. And, uh, and it's funny because the day I was packing up to leave, I saw one of the dudes walking down the street. And... I had never seen no more on our block, but I didn't think nothing of it. And so she come back to the house and started going to the gym. She dropped off my my two kids, and she walks into the to the front door. Thank God we had her, uh, had the chime on the door, and it beat. These I don't know how many people it was, but they were in the house. They were in my back. They were in the, in the back of my house. They were in my my room. They stole a wedding ring. They stole some guns. They stole. I don't know where all they took. I don't even care. But when that happened, my wife called me, and she was screaming. And I was in Las Vegas training, and uh, I just immediately, I just, I just, even with my hand wraps on, I just ran to the hotel, um, to the, to the airport, and just bought a ticket because it was just a straight flight from uh, Las Vegas to to um, Los Angeles. And I get there, man, and by this time, the police then came and all that, man. I go around and speak to the neighbors, and they trying to act like they don't speak English. I know it's you because the, mud, the, the, the footprints leap from the back of my house all the way to your house, and I don't have an alley. And I got a 16-foot fence in the back. So I prayed to God, and I said, God, I said, if you don't let me win this fight, I'm going to kill these dudes. Like, I'm I'm really going to kill these dudes. I'm going to throw my life away because I'm going to murder these guys because my wife, like, to hear that scream and to hear her cry, just the fear that she had because anything could have happened to my wife. And I had to go back to camp after that, man. So I I had so much going into this fight with with Galata that it was emotional. So I had that on top of it everything I explained to you. So, man, God is good. That's all I can tell you, brother. Wow, that's incredible, man, to think that you had all that going on and uh, 
all the rest of it, like you mentioned before, the three or four things uh, to to go out there and break that record. Um, that's that's amazing, Layman. But um, getting on to your third title defence, obviously this time you had to travel to Germany. On a Wednesday night, September 28th, 2005, you took on Luan Krasnicki. Um, you won the fight by TKO in round nine. Uh, you had Krasnicki down in the eighth round as well, of course. However, at the point of the stoppage, you were behind on all three of the judges' scorecards. Um, tell us about that one there, coming to Germany. Well, number one, Don King wanted a white heavyweight champion. And he, uh, he, they, Krasnicki knew he was fighting me before, like, like two months before I even knew I was fighting him. And, and I didn't get, all the time that I needed to train for him, which, you know, it's cool. But um, when I fought Krasnicki, I got in good enough shape to fight this guy, and I knew I wasn't going to win on a decision. I never went over there to win on a decision. I I figured out something about me versus other fighters. And I, thought, I figured out something about the art and science of boxing, it's not always about skill, even though I could match all these guys in skill. Because I, I actually, I didn't even know it until after the fight. I fought Krasnicki as an amateur in Germany and beat him then. And so I knew that I had to knock this guy out. I fought him on Max Schmeling's birthday, the same year Max Schmeling died. And I knew, without a shadow of a doubt, coming to Germany, fighting the first ever mandatory German challenger since Max Schmeling knocked out Joe Lewis, I knew there was no chance that I was going to win. And then Don King would have got his white heavyweight champ. So I knew going into this fight, it was, it was life or death. And I wasn't ready to give up my title. So when I went out there, I went out there with the intention on knocking him out, just like I did with Vladimir Klesko just like I did with with uh, Andrew Galata, uh, I just went out there to knock him out. I didn't I didn't feel like I needed to show skill. I didn't I didn't feel like I needed to win rounds. I didn't care about winning rounds or none of that. I cared about getting him into the deep water and making it personal. Do you want it because it's in your heart, or do you want it because of other people uh, giving you praise? And, and, and fame, like would Donald Trump want to be president if it meant he wouldn't be famous? No, he wouldn't. But the point is this, uh, with, with fighting Krasniki in, in his backyard, and I'm the champ on, on Max Melling's birthday, the same year that he died, I knew there was no chance that I was going to win. So I went out there and gave it everything I had, and – I came up with the victory. And what was it like really to, to travel to Germany, obviously as a heavyweight world champion, it's obviously a long way from home and you know, they love their boxing out there. Was it, was it a good experience traveling there or not, not so much? No, it was great, man. Everybody was great. Everybody treated me wonderful, man. I, I, I loved it. I, that was really like, I, I told people for years, I said outside of America, up until that point, if there was any place in the world that I wanted that I could I could see myself living, it would have been Hamburg, Germany. Like it was just great, man. I I, I love that place. Oh wow! So it left a it left a lasting impression. Um, 
Moving on to the next one, we, we now get get here seven months later. You're back in the ring. Uh, this would be your last fight as a world champion. You box in Cleveland against Sergei Leokovic. Um, Leokovic was down in, in the seventh round. He got back up but managed to win unanimously over 12. Um, tell us about that one there. I'm guessing not your happiest fight to look back on. Well, no, man. Um, that was actually the fight that ended my career because... Um, and it was, you know, it was my fault. And, and I'll, I'll tell you why, because uh, what, what my wife, with my wife being pregnant with our, our third and final child, um, I decided living in Los Angeles was, was getting pretty scary because everywhere I go, people give me this attention and I got cops pulling me over, not to even give me a ticket, but just to ask for my autograph and, and donations to their balls and charities and whatnot. And it just got too much for me. So I told my wife, I said, listen, I'm going to switch trainers. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to uh, go down to Florida and train with Buddy McGirt. And, you know, you're pregnant. I want you to be around the family, my mom and my grandmother and everybody. Um, and that way I, I, I will have some peace while I'm away from you. And so, uh, we moved back to Indiana, but then I went down to Florida. But, you know, when, when a woman is pregnant and and when she eat, you eat. So I gained so much weight, man. And I was like 310 pounds, as a matter of fact. And I, I went down and I was in I was in um, Burrow Beach, Florida, and Buddy McGirt, I was down there training with Buddy, just trying to get, get used to him, trying to gel with him to see if we was compatible or whatnot to work together. And, um... Don King heard that I was in town. Uh, well, I was in Florida. So he was in Boca Raton, which is two hours south of Avero Beach. So he asked me if I'd drive down. So me and a partner of mine, we drove down there. And then when he, you know, he greeted me and everything, everything was cool. Uh, but then instead of letting me leave, which I was ready to leave, he asked me if I would stay over. He said, let's have a barbecue. Let's, let's you know, have a, you know, spend some time. All right, cool, you know. I'll leave the next day. So stayed over. But that night while we were cooking and everybody was out, you know, we were just having a good time. You know, my, I was sitting at the kitchen table with, with everybody. And I noticed some, I, like, you know, you ever feel somebody staring at you really hard where it catches your attention, even though you don't make eye contact with them. So I turned around to see who was staring at me. And Don King was leaning up against the refrigerator with his arms crossed and he was just burning a hole through me. And I looked at him like, okay, that's weird. But anyway, turn back around, don't pay no mind. Next day I get up and I drive back. I'm halfway to Vero Beach now. It was a two-hour drive. I get a call from Don King doing this old spiel. Oh, yeah, and no one in America, and no, no, and I did it, and no, and you're going to be fighting, and no, in seven weeks. Huh? I'm 310 pounds. How do you think I'm going to get down to my fighting weight of 224 in seven weeks? Oh, well, I made the fight. And, da, 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 da. And, and I talked to your trainer. He said you can do it. Da, da, da. And I'm like, well, hold on, man. Hold on, hold on. Let me call you back. So I'm almost to Vero Beach. I called Buddy. Buddy, you told Don that I can I'm be ready for this fight in seven weeks? He said, what are you talking about? He said, man, I'm under contract. I can't even talk to Don King. 
So Don King done lied. By this time, I done made it to the house. I get on the computer. It's all on the fight news and all. The, he done made a fight with me and Lyakovich, and I'm not even in shape at all. So I call everybody of my team and fly them down on one day notice to, to come to Vero Beach from California. I can't tell you how much money that was. But anyway, they come down and we train. We do everything we could. But I, I did one thing that I paying for. I said, God, because I'm a man of God. I believe in God. I, I've always believed in God. I don't say it because I'm trying to make you believe. I say it because this is my testimony. I said, God, I said, if you don't want me to take this fight, give me a sign. Well, I go through camp. My weight start coming down. I'm training hard. I'm doing everything I can. A week out from a week out before I was supposed to go, so two weeks out from the fight, I wake up one morning to go to to the bathroom, and I keep saying, "Man, what is something is off? Something is weird." I pee. I look in the mirror, and I just notice in my left eye, I can't see anything from the horizon down. Like I can't see. Like if I look straight out, anything below looking straight out, I can't see. In my left eye, I'm blind. But I just took the eye exam the day before, and I was by my mother's house, and I, I like, I'm fighting this dude that I know I can knock out, and I'd have gotten enough shape where I know I could kill this dude. So in, instead of remembering the prayer that I said, God, I was thinking he would just do it like he, the sign that he would show me. I, think, I thought it was going to be like a, a, a week or two, not at the end of camp, because I could I should have pulled out of the fight. But um, I called my best friend, who I haven't seen since I was in the locker room of that fight, and I asked him, I said, hey, man, um, I can't see. He's like, what? And I explained to him. He said, well, man, don't worry about it. You know, you're going to knock this dude out. And I knew I could knock him out, man. It, it, whatever. But anyway, so I called my strength trainer. Same thing. But I didn't tell Buddy. Because I knew Buddy would have stopped it. And like I said, I went to get my mom at his house and this and that. And, and so I took the fight, man. And it was crazy on the way there to the fight. For the first time and the last time in my entire life, I had a dream. And on, on the plane, on the way to the fight, I had a dream that the plane crashed. And I woke up after the plane crashed, and I was still on the plane. And I was, like, freaked out in my mind, like, okay, this ain't good. But then when I got there... You know, I just went through my routine, man. Just, you know, I'm cool. I, I know I can beat this dude. I ain't worried about it. But when I walk into the ring, I get in the ring. As I step through the ropes, when I dip my head under to go through the ropes, something came over me. It said, I got a bad feeling about this. And when I stood up after I dipped down, I, did, I didn't know what else to do. So when he came to the ring, I mean, when, 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 um, I came naturally last, but the point is, when the fight started, I had um, said, well, I'm going to start off slow. You know, my eye, I'm going to get the feel of it, whatnot. I don't know what, it, you know, and, and and it's crazy because I he was afraid of me. And you can watch the fight. Uh, he wasn't doing anything in the beginning, but I'm relentless name Brewster, and the people started getting restless. I didn't want nobody booing me, so... I'm like, okay, well, you know, I was going to box this dude and then maybe pick it up. But as the crowd started getting restless, 
I went and threw a punch because he ain't throwing no punch yet. So I threw a punch, and then he threw two punches back. I slipped right, and then I slipped left. Okay? So crowd got quiet. Then I'm moving around again because the dude, I guess he want me to pursue him, but I wanted him to pursue me. <laughs> but the point is this. So after a while, the crowd got restless again. So I throw another punch trying to show the crowd that I'm trying to make the fight. You know, I ain't coming here to stink up the plate, so I throw a punch again. I slip right, but instead of slipping left, I pull back. And when I pull back, the end of his glove, the very tip of his glove, I mean the very, very tip of his glove, hit the bottom of my left eye where I was blind, and I went completely blind within the first minute of that fight. Whenever he threw the second jab, and I mean, the jab didn't even hit me. Again, it was the end of his glove that, that barely touched my eye, and I lost all sight in my left eye. And from that point on, man, it looked like somebody had um, put a veil, like a golden veil over my eye, and, and then took a, a red spray paint and just went down the middle. I guess that was the blood, and I guess the, the gold was the light. I'm not sure, but the point is this, man. It threw off my depth perception. So then as I'm fighting, the pain started coming in. It felt like a fat man was was standing on my eye. Like like if you pull my eye out and set it on the table and you had the vein that ran to the brain and you sprinkled some salt on it and he had some steel toe boots and he weighed about 400 pounds, it felt like he was standing on it. And so I'm fighting this pain and I'm trying not to let him know that that I'm in pain and, man, it just felt – I mean, dude, I was in so much freaking pain from, from, from that fight that, you know, I lost. I lost. And every time I threw a punch, I thought he would be within distance because I didn't know that it throws your depth perception off. So my depth perception, when I thought he was in front of me, he was on the outside of the ring. You know, so it was just it was just the worst fight that is the worst fight I've ever, ever had. Even the ATM fight was as terrible as that was. This fight, man, I take that over, or I take the ATM fight with that pain over this fight because when it feels like somebody got an ice pick and they pushing from the back of your head, pushing out forward through your eyeball, that's what it felt like through the whole entire fight, man. But you know, when your adrenaline is up, man, and you really want to win, I want to hold on to my title. He won the fight, man. I don't, I, you know, it, it is what it is. So that's all I can say. He beat me. And after that, you were out of the ring for a period of 15 months before jumping right back into a world title fight against a man you knew very well, Vladimir Klitschko. This time, though, you had to travel to Germany for the fight. This time, Klitschko would ultimately get his revenge. You retired on your stool after six rounds. Tell us about that one, Layman. Man, so this is the crazy part. Now, I just told you about all the pain I went through for that fight, right? So when I got out, when I got out of the ring... They fly me to California, and I. They, the doctor said he didn't cut a nerve in the eye, so all I could do was take his word for it. He's a great doctor. But I had so much pain that I was ready to commit suicide, literally, because I couldn't sit my head up. Um, I've lost this fight, and I'm in a pain. They're saying this, this, the pain that I'm experiencing is not associated with the type of uh, of surgery that I had to the point where, and it's even documented. They sent, they, they sent the best that he was the second. He, oh, he was a number one pain surgeon. Um, he was a pain, what the pain, um, 
he was a he was a pain doctor to prescribe pain medicine, and they he he was supposed to be like the best in California. They sent him down um, from from um, Sacramento to see why I'm in this kind of pain that I shouldn't be having, and they telling me that they don't know when this pain gonna go away. If it's going to go away, they're they not even telling me why I even have this kind of pain. Because, again, the type of surgery I have wouldn't possibly, I wouldn't possibly have that kind of pain associated with it. So I'm at the point where I'm on all these drugs. They, they have me on um, morphine. And I'm, I'm, I got pictures where even on morphine I'm in pain. Like, like I'm, I'm, I got tears coming down my eyes even in my sleep. They got ice packs on my head even with, with, with the morphine drip in my arm. Now, this went on for months and months and months and months to the point where I looked out the window so many times and I would have jumped out the window if I could because I couldn't live with this for the rest of my life. That, are you crazy? So eventually the, the pain subsides and I am released from the hospital. When I'm coming out of the hospital, I remember like yesterday, I'm in a Marina, De, Marina Del Rey um, parking lot, about to get in the car, my phone rings. It's Vladimir Klitschko people talking about they want to fight me. I'm like, huh? Like, dude, I I just almost lost my sanity. I, I said, listen, I'm in the parking lot of the hospital that I've been in for months and months and months and months. So at least let me have a tune-up. They say, well, how much can I pay you not to have a tune-up? Huh? What are you? So I knew there was no way on earth that I was going to ever be able to fight for a title because the Klitschko's controlled the heavyweight boxing division. They didn't want a black dude from the ghetto. You know, he's a gold medalist and doctor. His father was Mr. Chernobyl, general, whatnot. But, but so I, man, look. I took the fight because I knew that was the only opportunity I was going to get. I knew I had a puncher's chance, but my death perception was so off. I was so rusty. I didn't get to have a tune-up. I ain't fought since the Civil War. So when people brag about, oh, well, you lost to Crisco, and it, well, hold on. Crisco got carried out of the ring, and and Crisco was active when we fought. Now, I had not been in the ring whatsoever. Yeah, he beat me, but he didn't knock me down. I didn't get no eight counts. He didn't even stagger me. I did none of that. I was just, I was rusty. He beat me because I was freaking rusty. So, of course, he supposed to win a fight. Because if you let a dude that went through what I went through come back and beat you without a tune-up, then you are the worst fighter ever. But the fact that he won, and I told people, even even when I beat him that night, Vladimir is a very good fighter. And if, if he keep on, if he, if he get back, he, everybody will beat him. I mean, he'll beat everybody but me, and that's what he did. He beat everybody, and me and Vlad, look, Vladimir know. If I would have been right, he know who would have won that fight. But I wasn't right, man. I mean, listen, I I was when I tell you rusty, dude. I was so freaking rusty, and like I said, they they wouldn't allow me to get a tune up fight. So. I already knew what that was about, man. So I don't feel bad at the end of the day. I got to take care of me and my family. He, he won a fight, but you know what? So what? I mean, look at the fight. He hit me with jabs, and the only reason why we stopped the fight was because that same eye 
start swelling up, and they were afraid that maybe my retina was detaching again. But, you know, truth be told, man, I was rusty as a bucket of nails that been sitting in the water for 10 years. So what did they expect? So when people be like, oh, Vladimir beat you, like, you want to brag about that? Vladimir beat me? No, he didn't beat me. He beat a version of me. I wasn't at my best at all, and anybody with eyes would know that. If you knew how many months I was in hospital and how much pain I went through, and then they wouldn't even allow me to have a tune-up fight? Really? Come on, man. If you want to brag about him beating me, okay, well, hey, that's your man. Do you. And again, after that fight, you're out for 13 months, so you were quite inactive towards the end, and um, you, you came back, you beat Danny Bechelder, you become the quickest man to stop him. Then seven months after that, you did something that, in my opinion, Layman, you didn't have to do. You came to Germany, you beat Britain's very own Michael Sprott. We don't forgive you for it. Why'd you do that to him, man? <laughs> well, I did knock him out, but I tried to knock him out. <laughs> I would have knocked him out, but he wouldn't fight with me. He tried to box with me. <laughs> but Michael Sprout was a very good fighter. I know he would be good to my name. I know he would be a fighter that if I was in shape that I could beat and get some, get the rust off for me to try to get myself back on track. And so that's what I did, man. You know, I I don't I believe in order to be a world champion, you've got to travel the world. I don't believe if you you call yourself a champion but you only fight in your country, man. That's nonsense. Yeah. And, and yeah, your your win against Michael Sprott would be the final win of your career. You did box twice more, but you came up short on both occasions. The first to a Nigerian fighter by the name of um, Benga Olukun, I believe it was, via a unanimous decision over eight. Yeah, yeah. And then your but final fight against... That was my fault. Go on, go on, sorry. No, I'm saying that was my fault because... I felt like I could just box this dude. I didn't even try to knock him out because I wanted to get the rust off of me before I try to step up in competition. So I went out there and I boxed him. And uh, I thought I did enough to just win a close decision, but they gave it to him. And, and so I can't complain. They gave it to him, you know. And then when I got the fight, excuse me, against um, uh, 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 yeah, Robert Hellenius, you know, it was crazy, man, because when I got there, they told me, you know, I mean, not when I got out there, when I got to the arena, they told me that we're using the Austria rules. But here I am in Germany, two hours outside of Checkpoint Charlie in the country, and they tell me I'm fighting this, you know, I knew I was fighting Hellenius, but, you know, I didn't feel threatened by him because he didn't have no real knockouts on his record or nothing like that, you know. But I said, hey, man, you know, it's just another step-up fight for me. But when I get there, I walk past his room, and like any fighter, I got there about two and a half hours before the fight. He had already been there and wrapped his hands. And I'm like, well, hold on. So they put me in a room full of all these fighters, but he was a house fighter. That's cool. So I ain't tripping. But but then I say, okay, uh, let me send somebody to watch him wrap his hands. And then they send somebody to watch me wrap my hands. They say, well, we're using the Austria rules. I'm like, Austria? I ain't never even heard of fighting in Austria. And it's Germany anyway. What do you mean, Austria rules? Where they say that there is no uh, glove inspection. And he had already wrapped his hands before I got there, which means the only way he wrapped his hands three hours before a fight would be if he's waterlogging. And it's funny because that morning, a lot of you not. 
That morning, my phone rang in a hotel room. My wife answered the phone because I don't talk to people on the day of the fight because I don't want to be impressed by what they may have to say, good or bad. So to make a long story short, my wife said, okay, and then put the phone down. But she kind of looked at me, and I just, okay, I ain't want to ask her. But uh, I'll get back to that. So anyway, they they gave me my gloves, which are these hand-down gloves, and they, they watched me get my hands wrapped. But yet they wouldn't allow me to have anybody to watch him get his get his wrapped. And he got his own room, and his door had been shut for three hours. So I knew something was up. But, you know, I'm Layman Brewster. I believe in God. But anyway, I took I, – because I, at first I wasn't going to fight, but then they, they threatened me. They said, if you don't take this fight, you're going to have to find your own way back from this this hotel – I mean, back from this venue to the hotel, from the hotel two hours to Berlin, and then you got to get your whole crew, including your wife, back to America, and we're going to sue you. I'm like, huh? I said, man, you know what? I talked to my trainer and I talked, you know, I just felt like, you know, if they didn't want me to fight, then they should have fought for me. I'm, I'm a dog. I'm not going to turn no fight. I don't fear no man, even if they are doing dirty tactics. I didn't care because I know if I hit him, he's going to go to sleep. Plus, I looked at his record. He ain't, he ain't never stopped nobody, really. Like, his record, he didn't have no stoppages. But the point was this. We get into the fight, man, and... I lie to you not, man. Now, I know a lot of people always try to make excuses, but here's the thing. If I make an excuse, then I'm lying, and I know I'm going to stand before God, and I'm going to be judged. Every, every, I ain't going to say every, but I'm going to say after, like, the second round, in the beginning of, of the round, whenever he threw, like, the first punch, whether he really hit me or not, he must have had something on his gloves because I would see white. Now, notice if you're a fighter and you get hit with a shot, you will see darkness and you see stars. My eyes will go completely white, both of them. So he had something on his glove. And then his glove was so freaking hard. I know that it was something in his glove. But you know what, man? What am I going to say? Oh, stop and, and, and uh, check his glove. No, they, man, look, everybody was for this man to win. And I know that. As a matter of fact, I had some of his own people tell me that they did do some wicked things in that fight for him to win. Um, whatever he had in his glove, it, it, it cut my eye. I have no vision in my eye because of it from this day. And so um, my wife told me afterwards, she said that phone call, somebody called the room and tell, said, tell Layman to be careful. They're going to try something sneaky. And when I got into the mirror after I got out of the ring, I noticed I had slits across my eyelids. Now, as a fighter, we cut on a bra of our eyes, but it looked like somebody took an exacto knife and, and literally slit my eyelids. And so whatever it was he had in his glove, that's what cut my eye. It cut my cornea, and it cut my iris. And when my eye healed, it fused together, and I lost my vision. I went to Dr. Uh, Robert Corns of uh, Beverly Hills, and he's he's been a fight doctor for over 40 years. He used to do all the fights at the forum on a uh, I think it was a Tuesday night fights, whatever it was. But he said, in my 40 years of boxing, these cuts are inconclusive with boxing. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, you didn't get these cuts from boxing. So I called them, and they said that I did it to myself. They And I told them when I got out the ring, which is why they stopped the fight, I couldn't see, and I said something was wrong with my eye. They're going to say, I cut myself. Like, who would make themselves blind? 
Like, who would do that? I got to live my whole life, the rest of my life, with one eye. I can't play football with my kids, baseball. I can't do anything. Even when I shake people's hand, I got to put my hand out first so that I can make sure that I don't miss their hand because my depth perception is so off. So, yeah, he won the fight, but you want to win so bad that you would actually risk taking a man's vision or taking his life. And so he won the fight, which ended my career. So here we are. Uh, it's hard to listen to. That's that's absolutely uh, appalling, actually. Um, you know, you retire in the end, obviously, Layman, with with a record of thirty five and six, winning thirty by a knockout. Um, I want to ask you this because we're coming down to the last few questions here. Obviously, um, what have you kind of been up to during this time? Obviously, it's been it's been ten years now since you retired. What keeps you busy? Um, I work for Al Heyman. And uh, I I train people, and I um, I teach the art of punching. Like I teach the art and science of how to actually throw a punch using your entire body. I teach the the the, the I break down styles because I've, I've you know from martial arts man I've studied so many different styles and ways of fighting, and I've studied boxing my whole entire life, but um, I started a non-profit organization called Brewster's Place. It's uh, Brewster's.place, www.brewster's, plural, dot place. And what I do, man, is I try to teach life through boxing. I try to teach people life skills using boxing because life is a fight, and there's so many people that suffer from mental health issues, man, whether it's being bullied, whether it's lacking confidence, and instead of teaching them how to fight, I teach them how to fight in life because I could tell you what every punch means to life, and the world is the boxing ring, and the boxing ring to a fighter is the world. So that's what I teach people, man, because the thing is schools don't teach us about how to actually make it in life. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like they don't arm you with the necessary skills that you should learn unless you go and pay a college like 50 to a hundred million dollars a year to go to college, you know, which you shouldn't have to do. And so for every father, I mean, for every child who don't have a father, for every young man who just needs somebody to help lead them in the right way, positive to help them make that decision that we all have to make in life, whether you're a woman, whether you're a man, whether you're a girl, whether you're a boy, I teach you life skills, but I teach you what your fists mean in life. So now if you understand how to fight, then you know how to win in life because they're the same thing. There's no difference. So life is harder because if life knocks you down, you can't get up. But in boxing, you can get back up and, and, and go back at it. So what I do is I teach them how to fight and teach them the affirmations of what these punches mean to life. So now when they're in the world, they can see life as a fight. Oh, that's amazing, man. Good on you for that, Layman. And I want to ask you this as well. Throughout your career, obviously, you boxed hard punchers and stuff like that. Who was the who was the hardest puncher you ever fought? Can be inspiring. My mama. <laughs> my mama. <laughs> Are you crazy? Don't nobody hit harder than my mama. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know what, man? Uh, inspiring, I would say, a guy by the name of... Um, what the heck was his name, man? Uh, Lionel Butler. Oh my gosh, that dude, man. He he's like, he he's like uh, the Incredible Hulk the way he punched, man. And so I would say 
uh, Lionel Butler in the in the sparring, but then in a fight, I would I would probably say Vladimir Klitschko. Vladimir could punch. You know, he could punch. And you know, the thing is, is as a fighter, I have the, I had the mentality that pain didn't matter to me. Pain was pain is an emotion. Emotions come and emotions go. So no matter what you feel, let it go. Because if you harboring on how much something feels, then what's coming behind it may be even worse. So I, you know, I don't, I don't allow pain to register in my mind when I'm in the ring. But looking back now, I could say, yeah, Vladimir Klitschko. And who would you say was the best opponent you ever faced in a professional ring? In a fight or in sparring? Um, I have a one. Montel Griffin and James Tony. Um, inspiring uh, Jeremy Williams. Um, but in the ring, I probably would say Vladimir. Vladimir had had a he had real skill. He had astronomical skill. His jab was the fastest jab that I've ever faced in a, in a professional fight. It was so fast that I couldn't I couldn't be ready for it until he got tired. <laughs> His jab had something extra on it. He was extremely fast for a big man. That like he, he got retarded strength. I mean, retarded speed and strength. So yeah, I would say Vladimir. And I want to ask you this: Is there anyone you wish you'd have had the chance to fight, but you didn't get the chance to? You know, man, I have been asked that question, and I have to give the same answer, man. Uh, no, there's nobody. There's nobody that uh, – because I'm a fan of boxing, so everybody in boxing I'm a fan of. And it's like I can't be a fan if I beat you. So, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like I, I I don't, man, because I looked up to people like Mike Tyson and Muhammad Ali and all these guys, man. So, no, I, I, never, I never had no dreams of fighting anybody. I just wanted to be heavyweight champion of the world, man. All right, I'll ask you this. Do you have any regrets? If you could go back in time and change something about your career, do you have any regrets? I have a million of them, man. Like I wouldn't have taken that fight with um, Sergey Lyakovich. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have risked my eye. But you know, I trusted my people around me. But I didn't realize that they were in it for the money. Like, of course, they're going to tell me I could win because if I didn't fight, they weren't going to get paid. So naturally they're going to tell me to fight. And that's why I told you, I haven't seen my so-called best friend that I've been friends with since the fifth grade. I haven't seen him since the locker room of when I lost to Sergei Lyakovich. Wow. Wow. Um, I want to ask you this as well. Um, what was your favorite win of your career? It's got to be the first fight with Vladimir. It's got to be surely. Well, yes and no. It's tied, I would say it's tied with Galata because of all the yeah. emotional stress that I went through for that fight, man. Um, you know, my, my wife comes from Tennessee. I come from Indiana. We, we both in California with no family and my kids, and then I'm breaking in my house, and me having to go back to camp, man, it just, like, that was just really, really hard on me, you know. And But then Vladimir, yeah, because... Uh, again, uh, that's why I said a top because they didn't let me fight for all that time where I had to sit on TV, had to sit and watch him 
at fight parties and everybody talking about, oh, and look how, and I'm like, wow, man, they letting this dude fight, and I can't even fight, and then Don King was going to sign him, and Don King had flown him and his brother to his house and told him he didn't even have to fight me. He was going to just give him the belt if he would have just signed with him, but because Vladimir didn't, then he had to sign with me. So sign, he, then he had to fight me because he wouldn't sign with, with, with Don King, but Don was like, uh, I'll give you the title, you don't even have to fight Langman Brewster, even though he's a mandatory. I'll just give you the belt. So, yeah, man, you know, beating beating Vladimir, you know, beating who people was said was the best and beating, being that he went to the Olympics and won a super heavyweight gold medal and I didn't even get to go to the Olympics and that was my goal. Yeah, man, beating Vladimir Klitschko was definitely my number one. Him, him, But I like I say, at the same breath, I have to also say Galata. Yeah, Galata obviously a, a very satisfying win given the circumstances. And um, I, I must ask you this: um, you you mentioned Don King numerous times. He promoted you. You must have a Don King story for us. Man, I got so many Don King stories, man. Um, so when I was going to fight Nate Jones, well, first of all, because I didn't sign with Don King from right out the amateurs, he was mad at me. So when I when I finally came over to him, he told me he was gonna throw me at the bottom of the of the barrel. He didn't give me no signing bonus. I was I'm probably the only fighter that ever won a world title that never even got a signing bonus from his promoter. And so he told me that uh, I had to fight my way up to the top, and he was gonna throw everybody at me. So I knocked out everybody he threw in front of me, including his top fighter, which was Nate Jones, the dude that beat me to go to the Olympics. And so. I said to Don, because he was only paying me, I think only made like $3,000 for this fight. And I'm like, but hold on, man. I've had fights that weren't even on TV and made more money than this. You know, you on this all you're going to give me? My wife is pregnant. I'm in L.A. I don't have no money, Don. Well, I said, but Don, but what if I knock this dude out before the, uh, before the fourth round? Would you at least give me another $3,000? Yeah, okay, yeah. So I have my lawyer draw up the paper, sent it over to Don. Don signs it and sends it back. So lo and behold, I knocked Nate Jones out before the fourth round. I knocked him out in the third round. Um, I Afterwards, I get back to L.A. He sent a car for me. They fly me to Vegas in his private plane. He showed me flying over his house, showing his house, and got the limo coming to take me to his house. I get there, I got the paper in my hand, and I wait for him to stop talking. So we at the table, and I'm saying, like, can I have this other money? Because I need this money because I don't have any money. This is all I got is what I just made, which the government's going to take half of that. And this is L.A. and everything's expensive. Make a long story short, I, I wait for him to take a break. He just a thousandth of a second, I took the paper and I slid it across to him. So then he looks at it, looks at me, put the paper back down, face down, and send it back to and and, and he, he pushed it back across the table to me and said, well, I'll just fight it until either uh, you run out of money fighting it or you die. And then immediately afterwards, when I say immediately, I mean immediately afterwards, like not one minute, but like 30 seconds later, there was a pile of papers right next to him. He scoots that in front of him, looks at it, and pushes it over to me and then tell me he wants me to sign with him, re-sign with him. Now, mind you, 
I'm still in shock because he ain't gave me no money for a fight that is my first title. I don't want the NABO, a number four in the world now. Like, and and I ain't got no money. And and and, and I didn't got this paper. You done signed it. My lawyer wrote it up. And now you telling me that you gonna fight until I run out of money or I die. And now you got this piece of paper telling me here, sign all these pieces of paper. And they, some of them could have been blank. I don't even know what so many of them. And then gonna tell me. He, he, uh, no, that was another time. He was actually in Vegas when he started crying. Told me I'm always. He said, he said, uh, I was trying to take advantage of him because he was black. And I looked at him like I'm black. But the point is, I'm like, hold on, Don. You mean to tell me I still got a year left in the contract with you after beating Nate Jones? Now you want me to sign another contract with a year left still for another five years? Are you crazy? You know, so, yeah, man, you know, I, I just went through it. As a matter of fact, uh, because of that, he didn't let me fight for a year. <laughs> so I sat on the shelf. <laughs> oh, gosh. It's, it's always uh, entertaining, I should say, hearing hearing about Don King and his, uh, his uh, unique ways. Uh, I'll leave it at that. Um, my final question to you, Layman, is, uh, is, you know, mental health is such a big thing. You touched on it as well. You're, you're doing things now to help people, you know, cope with their mental health and stuff like that. Are you a happy man? It's all said and done. The boxing career is behind you now. Are you a happy man in this day and age, 2020? Yes, man. I'm happy. I'm happy and I'm happy. I work for Al Heyman. Uh, I got my wife. I got my kids. I got my faculties. A lot of fighters can't spell their names, but I've always challenged myself, man, to have have a, have a good binocular, man, to to read, study, and as the Bible says, show myself approved, man. I, I I do my best to try to be the best me I can be, man. To try to be an example for every kid, every young man, every woman who has has a dream, has aspiration, man, of trying to do something in their life. Um, that that's what I've done. And that's where I live, man. I, I just, I try to be what I, I, you know, practice what you preach, man. Um, nothing comes from, nothing comes from negative, but negative. And so I try to take whatever's good and make it better. And that's what I do, man. Every day I wake up, I try to make my enemies love me, just like God said, man. So that's what I do. Man. I just try to be the best me. And I just, I just keep trying to build. And I try to find people to build with, man, because that's what it's about. It's not about money. Money's going to come. Money's going to go. Money's a byproduct of success. Anything you're successful at, if it's drinking water, it's going to make money. So it ain't about money, man. It's, at the end of the day, it's about love. It's about brotherhood. And it's about just obeying the will of the Most High God, first and foremost. Yeah, well said, my friend. Well said. But listen, Layman, it's been a real pleasure and an honor discussing your entire career this week. Thank you so much for your time. I wish you the absolute best for the future. And I hope we can speak again sometime soon. Hey, man, my pleasure, man. You got my number, brother. Anytime, man. Thank you so much. This is, you know, just talking about these things sometimes, you know, it's it's good medicine, you know. I mean, I got good, I got bad, but you got to take the good with the bad. I just thank God for everything that he's given me because I, I would never get to speak to people like yourself or see the things around the world that I've got to see without God, man. So that's just what it is. <laughs> 
Okay, and this wraps up episode 260 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Eddie Chambers has been with me for the duration of the show. A massive, massive thank you to our sole guest on this week's podcast, the former WBO heavyweight world champion, Layman Brewster. What an incredible life he has lived. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed that interview. I do want to apologize once again for that slight echo during some of it. I know it was probably quite annoying. It was out of my control. I hope hope it was still listenable. I hope you did um, get to the end and, and listen to it all because it really was, um, you know, a lot of detail that Lehman went into. It was a phenomenal listen, in my opinion. Uh, there has been one piece of news break whilst we've been recording the show. Joe Joyce versus Daniel Dubois has been agreed for November 28th. And unbelievably... It's going to be taking place on regular BT Sport. It's not going to be on pay-per-view. Frank Warren once said in the build-up that the fight won't go ahead without fans. Um, Then, you know, he said if it's going to go ahead, I think there was talks that it's definitely going to have to be on pay-per-view, you know, because it's a big, big, big domestic showdown. It's, It's in the heavyweight division, both men undefeated. It's a big, big fight. And, you know, he's now putting it on without it even being on pay-per-view so credit to Frank Warren and of course both teams for agreeing terms that's a phenomenal fight we're going to get to see once again that's going to be November 28th Um, remember if you do want some one-to-one boxing lessons via Zoom hit up Eddie Chambers on Instagram or myself the biggest thanks of all as always goes out to you the listeners thank you all for listening to this week's podcast once again enjoy your weekends people stay safe and we shall see you all again next week